All right, hey everybody, welcome back to the Third Deck Lounge podcast. Today I'm talking to Jared Pruitt, who is a husband, father, marine, author, carpenter, teacher, coach, and a lover of great stories. Jared was a sergeant in the Marine Corps with 1st Battalion, 6th Marines, based out of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. He participated in the Battle of Ramadi, Iraq, as a designated marksman from 2006 to 2007, and as a squad leader in the Battle of Garzmir, uh, Afghanistan, 2008. After being honorably discharged in 2009, having served five years, Jared moved to Colorado and married in 2011. He has a bachelor's in business and a master's in writing. You can find him bowling, golfing, camping, hunting, or fishing when he's not around his family. You can check out his book and uh, his other work as Instagram page at Cold Steel Collective. There's underscores in between all those. And then you can also check him out at uh, www.jaredpruittwritesstuff.com. Jared Pruitt grew up sheltered Midwest kid seeking adventure and a taste of what his grandfather endured as a soldier in General Patton's Third Army during World War II. He joined the Marines in 2004 as Iraq ignited into an all-out war. The Battle of Ramadi would forever change Jared's life and send him down a path of strife and survival from explosions and gunfights to blood clots and panic attacks. Nothing is hopeless. His book, It'll Buff Out, is a story about the revival of a war-torn city and the human spirit. Yeah, welcome to the show, man. Super cool to be able to uh, talk to you. I got a, uh, before uh, release access to the to the whole book, and it's about almost like 300-ish pages, almost. And uh, reading this whole story was absolutely insane. The, the things you went through, and then just how the story plays out, like kind of jumping back and forth between memories and how the strokes playing out that you went through just it crazy 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 uh hearing about the battle of ramadi and i guess where i kind of want to start out with this man is just asking you uh where are you originally from so i um i'm originally from wisconsin just a uh small town not not really like i guess the whole surrounding area is about two hundred thousand ish people but um yeah Small town, Wisconsin, had family in Milwaukee, so go down and visit them regularly. So exposed to the city life and and whatnot. Um, but uh, for the most part, it's, it was just outside of our our house that we lived in, you know, like mm-hmm. a mile or two out of town. And you were in farmland and forest. And it was just a different, different upbringing than uh, most people who, uh, you know, we had lived in Milwaukee, like my cousins and the rest of my family did. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a good upbringing. Um, Just uh, had some, had some weird shit happen sometime around like uh, sixth, seventh grade. And that stuff just kind of pushed me in a direction where, uh, especially after I interviewed my grandpa, you know, you can, you read that in the, in the blurb. Um, so yeah, he served under Patton. He went through the, the, the bulge and, uh, across the Rhine liberated Dachau concentration camp. And then he went back to the States and he was training to, uh, jump out of planes to be part of the mainland invasion in Japan when they dropped the bombs. And then he was finally able to go home. But, uh, I interviewed him in sixth grade and that, that impacted me a lot just hearing his stories and how i mean all those all those decades later where the events that happened to him back in you know 1944 and 1945 are were still as like real and as intense as 
they were back then as it as it was now and whatever it was like 96 or 97 when I was interviewing him and that kind of just planted the seed in my head of of wanting to know where all that came from and like what would leave an impact like that on your life to where 60 years down the line it's still just like as fresh as it happened yesterday and i don't know um i think it was a, a book i read in seventh grade then it was about vietnam and it was just what, what you'd expect from a marine corps written perspective from the vietnam war just insanity um it was hill 466 i think it was the name and that that really kind of pushed me like i was already infatuated with the military at that point i i got my hands on everything i could with uh world war ii because of my grandpa and then forrest gump came out and that kind of lit the spark of vietnam and in my head from that then i read that book and i was just like dude the marines are badass like i i <laughs> if i ever join the military like it's yeah. gonna be the marine corps so um i i went you know, through school, high school, played soccer. Um, that was my that was my main thing. And uh, after my senior year, I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, like hung my cleats up, had enough, kind of bit of a burnout um, from all of the. So I mean, it was year round, just in indoor soccer to outdoor soccer back to and just. Uh, so I went to college for uh, three semesters, uh, dropped out. After the third semester, that's when I joined the Marine Corps. And yeah, July 2004, off off I was to uh, California for the first time and mm -hmm. flew into San Diego. And you can see landing, you can see the, the Marine Corps recruit depot. Yeah. And it was just like, all right, here we go. So yeah, just did the whole yellow footprints shave your head um a couple days in receiving and that's where you i mean i don't know about the experience um you know like nearly almost uh you know a decade later um but <laughs> i i you know i've never seen anybody actually like shit themselves like just standing up against the wall <laughs> oh i was God. just like wow like this <laughs> is wild so yeah. you know and it, it, i i boot camp was it was hard yeah like it's boot camp yeah. like it, it's supposed to be hard but you learn you learn the system pretty quickly and as long as you know where to toe the line and and how to stay like on the straight and narrow um you, you do all right like you you get quarter decked a bunch but that's everyone's going to get quarter deck then it's the worst thing was i got shin splints really bad because uh i'm not i'm not the biggest fan of running i thought mm. because it was the marine corps for some odd reason i was like oh, you know we're gonna do more swimming and ended up only doing like you know the three-day swim call or or whatever oh, it is now. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know so honestly I'm like, yeah you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm like we're gonna we're, we're Marines. Like we're going to be doing swimming and, and shit. And I was just like, no, like you got yeah. three days of that. Everything's running. And it was like, Oh, Oh shit. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I got shin splints really bad. So I, uh, I would find, you know, like, you know, who goes to dental and they're getting teeth pulled. They're going to have some ibuprofen. So I would 
make trades with them. I'd get food from the chow hall and bring it back. And I'd be like, all right, dude, here's your midnight snack or whatever. And they'd hand me some ibuprofen. It was just like, all right. So I was able to get through boot camp and, um, this, I, you know, the funniest story from it is, was during the crucible. I was on the, the last day, you know, we get whatever half an hour, two hours, whatever it was asleep. And we get up and I'm on an empty stomach and they gave us, I think it was an apple or an orange. And by the time I got to whatever the palate was, there were only oranges left. So I took an orange, ate the orange on an empty stomach and then popped an ibuprofen just to be like, all right, like, I got this. Like we're good. Mm-hmm. I can do this. So I didn't think about my shit and splints once during the entire time because I had to shit so bad <laughs> from the, the the citric acid and the ibuprofen. Just ate a, like whatever was in my stomach. Just wanted to be out. So the <laughs> the entire time it was just like a matter of I. I got, I can't shit myself. I can't shit myself. Didn't even care oh, about Jesus. my legs. I didn't <laughs> feel them at all. Just went through the hole, like the Reaper and all that shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. So then from, from boot camp, graduated and uh, came back for SOI out at Camp Johnson. Uh, that was, you know, I, I thought SOI was really fun. I mean, the, the 20 K humps and all that, like, yeah, that's, that's rough and, and whatever, but, uh, getting to shoot the machine guns and play with all the other stuff. It just kind of learn the actual art of war was, uh, I, I loved it. So, um, yeah. And then from there, I, uh, was contracted security forces because uh, like many people, I, didn't know any better when my recruiter told me that the infantry MOS was closed uh, during a, a time of war, two wars going on. And he's like, you know, but if you go the security forces route, like you'll eventually go to the infantry, but you'll get to learn how to use every weapon system in the world. And oh I was just like, God. wow. <laughs> got your ass. You know, we, we got to we got to shoot the what was it, the M ten seventeen Benelli shotgun. Oh yeah, yeah, the cool. Looking I, I don't one. know if that's right or not, but the Benelli yeah, shotgun. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Gauge. Yeah, and then uh, the we had the M nine Berettas back then, so that was part of the security forces school. Um, so yeah, I went through that, and then um, I actually was uh, okay. I graduated first in class there, got mer- meritoriously promoted to Lance Corporal. And then um, we get shipped out to Washington for uh, that security forces duty station out there. And I mean, I, I describe it in, in the book as a uh, purgatory for grunts because that's basically <laughs> what it is. It's just if you actually want to go to the fleet, it's the absolute worst oh, experience yeah. ever. Yeah. Because you just, I mean, there, there's nothing worse. Like you feel like you waste your time standing on post in a foreign country or whatever. And it's just like, God, like there's literally nothing going on and it, everything sucks. And then you uh, go and do the same job stateside. And it's just like, what? Like, why did I even join the Marine Corps to do this? Like mm-hmm. anybody, literally anybody could do, do that. Um, so like being there was just frustrating beyond belief. And, and then, uh, <laughs> and then the the great party of 2005 happened with my roommate getting uh well one of his buddies got promoted so they threw him a little 
a banger in our room because we were separate. We were in like these Navy overflow barracks aside from the main Marine barracks, which were, of course, way shittier. Um, so we had the party or they had the party up there. I wasn't even there. I was out with some other friends and they left the room trapped. So I get a call the next morning. I'm out taking my team leader from my from a different platoon, my platoon, mm-hmm. to the mechanic to get his car. And you know, <clears throat> I get the call, and it's just like you need to get back here right now. I'm like, why? Like, what's the problem? He's like, dude, I don't even know, but it's something about your room, and <laughs> it, it, it's just it's fucked up. You got to get back. <laughs> like, all right, Roger that. So I get back, and my room is just it's beer cans everywhere like unopened 30 racks just chilling there bottles of booze everywhere pizza boxes upside down like everything you'd expect from uh, a barracks party right <laughs> like i'm sure you guys had some raiders oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> uh so get back and you know, getting another call from my team leader, and he's just like, "Do whatever you can, and you know, be down here in ten minutes. Meet me in the smoke pit or, or some shit like that." So, I like get as much of the trash together as I can. I put all the the beer that is still intact, and and all the liquor and all that stuff in some trash bags. Throw it in my buddy's truck, and uh, quickly get shaved and changed, and you know, run down to the smoke pit meet my team leader there and up I go to our the platoon commander who was uh like the security forces the the structure is kind of like they call it a platoon but it's a company basically mm-hmm. so that the captain he's sitting in his office and it's just like from um god that that dude John Ham from Mad Men like oh, okay. just just like the same kind of like you know, broad shoulders, intense, like business looking face, just all serious. And he's just grilling me and grilling me. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, oh my God. God, like this sucks. Like, yeah. Like, I'm coming so off the mad. high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, it, but I mean, he was, uh, my roommate was a buddy from boot camp, like the only. The only guy I talked to still from 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 boot camp, and we're still best friends to this day. And we were best friends back then, even being you know in different platoons and and whatnot. But uh, you know, I was uh, I was the only one who was twenty one. So um, as you know, like if you are underage, it it doesn't go well for you. Yeah. In the Marines like yeah. they they really burn you. But if you're at least twenty one, you kind of it still sucks, but uh <laughs> so the greatest part about it was like you get to the point and you know, I'm just yes sir, I sir, like all you know, doing the yeah doing the right thing, like playing the game. Yeah, doing the, the dog and pony stuff and saying what they want and then <laughs> he's like, So you actually expect me to believe that you drank all of those beers, like two hundred or whatever it was and, and like <laughs> seventeen bottles of booze and i'm just like yes sir <laughs> fuck out of my office like I, I, all right i made it like finally. oh my god yeah so um a couple i think it was maybe maybe two or three months after that it was april no may 
May of 2006 that I uh, then left Washington and went to 1-6. Mm-hmm. So the guy I went to work for, I, I got kicked out of the platoon and um, clearance pulled and whatever. Damn. Yeah. Uh, went went downstairs and worked for the a gunny and I think he was the, the guard chief and uh, awesome dude. Like, mm-hmm. great guy. Like, he knew I wasn't a shitbag. Like, I just, <laughs> you know, I, I think everybody kind of knew, but it was like, yeah, he's uh, he's just falling on this sword, and um, uh, we're not, no one's going to stop him. So, yeah, I, I just did it, and, um, you know, went downstairs, and, you know, I just did what, what I only knew how to do, and it was just, you know, bust my ass and just do whatever they asked me to do, and it was a lot of brasso a lot of brass so like every piece of metal brass oh, monument statues uh you name it all the, these banisters oh, crazy. <laughs> uh, so i go through uh a couple months of that and i'm sitting behind the computer like doing this data entry bullshit that they had me doing and the gunny comes in he's like bro I'm out of here in like three weeks. He's like, I know you want out of here. So where do you want to go? And I was just like, no way, dude. Like, <laughs> um, I just had a buddy from Washington go to one six and I, you know, knew nothing about it. Like I was just, right. like, I've been on the West coast this entire time. I'm like, let's go to the East coast. Like, yeah, why it. not? Yeah. Like it's the fleet. Finally, I'm there, and it's well, you know, within like my two years of purgatory that I'm supposed to do at Washington, and go to one six. So off to Camp Lejeune I go, and I get there, and uh, during my time in Washington, when I when I got in all that trouble, I I had been going to the gym pretty regularly, uh-huh. but when I went when I got kicked out of the, out of the platoon and went down to the one of the s shops uh they uh it was like a couple hours of work in the morning and then i had like two to three hours to like eat lunch and i was just like i went to the gym the entire time then i came back did a couple more hours of work and then I, I was off so i just packed on muscle like crazy mm-hmm. and i get to one six and my you and my um my alphas are just like screaming Oh geez! Like like I'm a green summer sausage. Oh god! And so I check in, and uh, for whatever reason, I got put in the same company and same platoon as my buddy who had had come from Washington. So it worked out great. Like that's sick. Knew someone in the platoon. Like yeah, it was freaking awesome. So I check in though, and (laughs) it's uh a couple of the squad leaders sitting behind the desk and um. And one of the team leaders from third squad, Duke, and they are just like eyeballing me up and down, and like <laughs> my alphas just make me look like I'm just fat. Like, oh god! Like fat, like, <laughs> oh damn! Not a good first impression. <laughs> not a good first impression, and, you know, especially showing up from security forces, and um, obviously, like a little bit of news precedes you, so they knew I had gotten in some trouble. Uh huh. So but uh as soon as i told them like i when they asked me like how'd you get kicked out i was like oh god like 
here, here I go. Like I'm in for it again. I'm in for it. So I told them the story and they're just like, that's fucking awesome, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking great. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was so reading like, that. I was laughing myself. I was like, that is fucking crazy. I'd, well, I'd have been pissed. But at the same time, it's like, if I don't take the fall for this, they're fucked. <laughs> it, it was like, I don't even know how many Marines went up there besides my buddy who was there, but it was like, a dude just got promoted to corporal. Oh, like, God, uh -uh. yeah. Like, no way. Like, yeah. no way. Like, what, yeah. I'll, I'll recover from this. Like, I'm it's still still young here. Yeah. Um, so, uh. So yeah, I get there and then there's that first impression and they're like, all right, go get, go get changed out of your uniform fatty. And I'm like, all right, Roger that. Like, <laughs> so I go up and get changed and, uh, come back down and go back up to the desk and they're just like, who the fuck are you? I'm like, I'm Pruitt. I just checked in. They're just like, whoa, like, all right, dude. Like, cool. Um, you know, I like because I had this giant tribal sleeve, and then I was starting to get tattoos added to my right oh, okay. arm at the time, and um, just tatted out. Uh, probably the biggest um size of my life. I think I was like pushing two twenty five or something. Oh shit! Just, just a meathead. Yeah, yeah just a meathead. Um, I always joked like my PFT would have been awesome, but I can't run, so mm. I'd always max out pull ups and crunches. But uh, the the mile uh. You know, 20, 21 minutes, mm. just uh, coasting right on in. Like, ah, yeah. wish I could do better, but um, I, I would eventually. But, dude, I learned pretty quick that like being huge was not a not really your friend in in uh in the desert. Like, mm. uh, yeah. So, um, got to one six. Three days later, we left for CAC, so I had to do like this super quick check in going to. Like get your like gas mask, you know all that shit. Um, uh, got the French Forger, so that that was cool. Like, That's um, yeah. So you know, you start learning more about the Sixth Marine history, and you know, like Fifth and Sixth Battle of Bellwood, and and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, do go out and do CAC for thirty days. Um, that was you know perfect timing for me to get there because. I don't know of a better way to get to know the guys you're in the going into battle with than going out and doing CACs or something, mm -hmm. you know, some long-term evolution. Um, so we do that, get back, um, have a couple months before we start like doing like the prep for getting out. I think we had some more like live fire training, um, a bunch of stuff at night to really like work on NVGs. Cause we, we were all watching the shit coming out of Ramadi. Um, the there, there's that uh, you might you might have seen it at some point, but like these uh, SVBIDs just rolling in. Um, I mean, you can hear all the gunfire, and it's from like it's from the Muja's perspective, so right. they're recording it, and it's just that SVBID just rolling in there and just blowing up, and yeah. you're just like, Whoa. that's crazy, like, yeah. I didn't know what I was getting into when I I told my gunny like I want to go to one six. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I had no idea. Like I called my buddy. Uh, you know that reminds me. I called my buddy up. You know right after I told him like I'm getting orders to one six. He's just like, bro, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. He's like, don't 
do you know where one six is going? I'm like, no, man, but I'm going to the fleet. Like, finally, he's just like, <laughs> dude, we're going to Ramadi. And I was just like, where the fuck's that? <laughs> like, bro, who? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, um, that's crazy. But yeah, then, then you look up Ramadi and, uh, dude, like back in those days, you had to go to uh, like LiveLeak.net. Yeah, yeah. I, and, I, and, uh, yeah. yeah you, <laughs> I've been there way that? too many yeah, times. Yeah, I, I was a teenager. Yeah. I went yes. on that site way more than I should have as a as a kid. <laughs> I crawled all over that site. Uh, bad, not good yeah. for uh, my young mind. <laughs> so, yeah, you go in there and search uh, Ramadi Iraq, and it was just like, holy shit! Like yeah. this is wild. Um, you know that they'd have all the shit up from Al Jazeera and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we're going, getting closer to uh, deploying and. Um, I don't know. I don't. If there's not anything really of significance, just the regular training. I think we hit up the gas chamber, and then mm-hmm. we ran back to our our battalion area with our gas mass on, and like, all right, cool. Um, then it was. I think it was like September 10th or September 11th that we actually like left and uh, flew out. Um, and we landed in Bangor, Maine, and we bum rushed the airport bar. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> before before our sergeant major could get there, like we had like trays of tequila shots <laughs> and just <laughs> final final rush. Uh... Yeah, exactly. And I yeah, like most of us don't remember getting back on the plane. Oh god, it was, <laughs> it, was it was a good time. Um, so then yeah, we make a stop in Germany, and then off to uh, from there off to Kuwait. And then uh, that's where I actually started chewing was in Kuwait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we we're on the buses and we weren't allowed to get off for, for whatever reason. I think they wanted it like to wait until it was dark enough before we started getting off the or so I don't know. Oh, gotcha. So I was I was smoking cigarettes um, at the time. You know, wasn't I tried chew back in high school. It didn't end well. Like I got sick and I was just like, oh, I ain't doing that again. Like cigarettes, yeah. like oh, that, that, those are fine. I'm good with those. So we're on the bus, and I'm just like, God, I really need a cigarette. And of course, like one of the corpsmen turns around, and he's just like, I got you, bro. And he hands me back this uh, skull peach can. Mm. I'm like, skull peach? He's like, yeah, just take a little bit. And I'm like, all right. So I take a little <laughs> pinch, and I'm like, yeah, this isn't too bad. You know, I'm like, I could get used to this. And then like, no shit, five minutes later, they're like, all right, get off the buses. I'm like, all right, sweet. But that stuck with me, uh-huh. you know, because uh, obviously at night you can't you can't smoke cigarettes on post. Right. And, yeah. So I was like, all right, you know, we as soon as we got to, um, I think we we're at Camp Ramadi when I finally bought my my first log of chew, and mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, it was lights out from there. Like I, I, I would still chew to this day, but you know that just destroys your mouth yeah yeah bad habit <laughs> um yeah yeah but um but yeah dude uh so yeah we get to camp ramadi flying at night um we we were told we were going to be doing mostly everything at night like we'll be going out at night we'll be patrolling at night um as little daytime movement as possible until you know we got a feel for things and mm-hmm. it was just like all right and then they show you the the statistics of 
the frequency of firefights and where all the IEDs are. And it's just like the map was just a mass of like giant red orange circles. Like the bigger the circle or and the redder it was, like the more firefights there were. And the areas where we were going, like one Opie Hurea, right, right in the middle of the city, just mm-hmm. 100 plus firefights a week and IEDs. IEDs all all over the freaking place. Like anywhere you go, like uh, we always expected IEDs. I mean, they were everywhere. So um, yeah, we get out there. Uh, I think we spent so we left September 11th. You know, get to Kuwait probably sometime on the 12th, and I think mm-hmm. we we must have stayed in TQ. I don't. We must have stayed there. I don't know if we flew directly from Kuwait to to Camp Ramadi, but you know, in between the travel and all that, we were in Camp Ramadi for a few days, and you know, we went through like the IED classes with the uh, I think it was the, some Octi guys were there doing all that stuff, and um, just went through and you know learned about pressure plates and shape charge and all all that shit, like yeah. what to look for, uh, you know, all the all the IED stuff and uh finally made it out to uh the city on the night of the 16th so then the morning of the 17th um you know we get first contact like eight hours into it um really that fast yeah yeah um and that wasn't even like that was that was just me getting called up to the roof as the designated marksman there was some this guy moving some weapons around and um he was carrying an AK-47, and uh, you know the DM. That's uh, it's it, it's it's cool. You get the Sam R, and you get a little bit of a different perspective. And in Ramadi, it was uh, you know what made Chris Kyle famous. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and I know our snipers, dude. Like this dude, uh, he just wrote a book on it. Um, Brian Kramer. Um, it's called Suffer Patiently. And it's all about him becoming a sniper in Ramadi. And it's, it's a great book, uh, you know, mm-hmm. learn a lot about the, the sniper MOS and what it takes to get through sniper school and all that. And, um, good read. So, you know, right off the bat in Ramadi, it was, uh, the ROEs were different from anywhere else in Iraq. Um, you see anybody looking at you with binoculars or looking at an outpost with a cell phone up to their ear, carrying a weapon, um obviously trying to hide it and uh, right. um you know that that shit was just happening all the time right. so it was it's like the ROEs were different we were cleared to engage all that so you know the squad leader was up there with me um you know so you engage and it was just uh just crazy and how then did, um how did you uh how did you feel or i guess what what did it feel because i imagine that's the first time you've ever been shot at or had to shoot at somebody how did that i, I guess how was that uh how did that feel um well the rest of the platoon thought it was awesome like <laughs> um as soon as the, the crack went out it was you know i, I yeah. It was kind of going back to uh, when we were talking earlier. It just feels surreal. Right. Because you just go from, um, the, the safety of, you know, the security, not of America mm-hmm. to 
this complete polar opposite right where you 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 watch all the videos you hear all the news you you only operate at night um and you go in and like eight hours in you're called up to the roof and it was obviously intense i mean Mm -hmm. you get up there it's the first time you're seeing the the city in daylight it's entirely new surroundings you're looking through this portal um through sandbags propped up by like little two by fours box um and you have your uh second squad leader uh chief i think i call him in the book and uh Mm -hmm. you know he's walking me on target post three post four they're watching and um they walked me on and you know as soon as that crack went out it was just kind of like you know the recoil rocked me a little bit and uh because you know like like a good shot it it surprised me and Mm -hmm. um the guy was walking behind a wall and he was like the street behind it i think it was called the grave street and it slopes kind of downward at an angle so he was like slowly disappearing Mm -hmm. so after I shot, you know, I, I didn't see him anymore. And it was kind of like, all right, uh, you know, like what happened? And everybody else was just like, like, holy shit, you know, and, um, our squad leader calls down and like the whole platoon is up. I mean, like when I got woken up, cause I, I had just fallen asleep maybe a couple hours before that. Cause <laughs> Like any, like any new guys, like, you know, we had a bunch of guys who had returned from Fallujah and they, and one six had gotten there, I think a month or two after the, the main, the second battle of Fallujah ended. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they did a lot of, I mean, just patrols and, and patrols. So, and they got into some, some ticks and all that, but, uh, they knew how it worked and, and all that. I, of course, learned a lot from them. Like a lot of them became my buddies because I was a little bit older. I, I came in the same year they did. Um, so, but they had done a pump to Fallujah. I was just the security forces food. I had somehow made the cutting score to get promoted to corporal, but they were just like, oh, this dude had a, a 52 on the old rifle qual score. And, mm-hmm. um, and I was just like, yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> like, we should make him the DM. I was like, yeah, you should. So, you know, that's how I scored that. Just, <laughs> just being a, like, I'm not, I'm not a great shot, like by any means, but, uh, you know, I can, I can, I can do some decent shooting when, yeah. when I really knuckle down. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the, they get the call down and everybody's up and, um, like, I, you can hear it all the way up. Like Hopi Hooray is like a three or four story building mm-hmm. and it's just all concrete, like rebar. I mean, just solid. Like this thing has taken probably not one, but two JDAMs. Um, like the, the entrance oh, onto man. the roof. Yeah. The entrance on, onto the roof was uh, a, a crater left from a, a JDAM. Oh, I'm shit. pretty sure. And engineers, engineers had to like build wooden stairs going up to it and, um, or actually, I think I was talking to a dude uh, not too long ago who said he he's like I put those stairs in there. I'm like, oh, oh that's cool. <laughs> that's crazy. What um yeah, what? So how deep into Ramadi were you guys kind of operating? Because I know we say like Op Haria, but I 
I guess to sure. get some more context. So, um, so Ramadi is like a city of 500,000. It, it makes like this, uh, kind of a triangular shape where uh-huh. the Euphrates is going across the North, East to West. And then, um, route Michigan's coming in from the North and then it like kind of parallels the Euphrates river as it goes through the city. And that's the main drag. Like that's the main thoroughfare through the city. Um, and then from there, everything splits off. Uh, as uh, you get closer to the west side of the city, like where uh, Camp Ramadi, uh, Hurricane Point, and Blue Diamond are, the, the main fobs, it's um, it's not as bad. It's it's pretty pretty mellow, not as kinetic. Uh, but the closer you get to the center part of the city mm-hmm. is where the souk is, and that's the marketplace, and that makes that trapezoid figure. Okay. So that trapezoid figure is the souk, and the Euphrates is up here. Op Hawk is off to the northeast, and then um, Op Horea is like dead nuts, like right in the center, just to the south on the other side of Michigan, the main the main road on the south side. Mm, so we okay. have like this wide open area of the souk, and then everything to the south is all just nonsense too. I mean, that's where you have um, Cap Sword and Cap Falcon down there. I think those were. Um, 101st airborne guys down there and then uh mm-hmm. there are several other outposts that i believe they set up while we were there but i mean like it's not a huge city like it's okay. it's pretty packed in um mm-hmm. it, and you know it it like has its like suburbs area like there's a lot of different tribes that are in there and uh-huh. the tribes kind of consolidate in their own right okay um so when we were at Horea or even Hawk or <clears throat> any of the other outposts, like if anything was going down south, like a firefight or something, like we would hear it, like we'd watch it, we'd you know, you'd have the giant loom mortars at night popping overhead and um you know, you see the tracer fire rockets going out, um, Mark nineteen's going like you you heard and saw a lot of it, even though mm-hmm. you're just on post, and it was just like right. man. And you, you know you you get you get that bored feeling, and the being a marine, it's like man, like why can't we have a little bit of that up here? Like, <laughs> like this is boring. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are like balls deep in it, just like literally just right in the. It sounds like the worst part of it. Opiharea was like it's from from the get go, just a blur. Um, so we get up uh, the third day we're there. Um, I'm back up on the roof. It's uh my squad is on post. So my buddy Hacksaw he's in post five, which is looks straight down Michigan, and as the Mark nineteen and our squad leader Grandpa is up there with us, mm-hmm. and I'm looking out the porthole like right next to him and uh. And, you know, there's this little stream of foot traffic that runs across the street. Like, most of them literally run across the street. And the government center sits uh, on Michigan, like, a quarter to a half mile to the east or to the west of us from Opie So this little foot traffic stream 
like goes pretty steady like it's amazing how many people still live in this freaking city like i was gonna ask that how many civilians were in the middle of all this um i mean there must have been you know out of five hundred thousand. Oh geez I would have, i'd have to say like probably fifty thousand, maybe 50 to 100 somewhere oh, wow. in there just yeah and i you, and like most of them are on the fringes like, okay we're the main like especially on the west side there, there are quite a few people who live there but i mean even as we start getting into like deep into the soup it was like you live here like yeah we have literally been shooting over your house this entire time jesus like, christ this is insanity yeah. yeah dude um crazy stuff trying to live in the so middle the third, of that yeah, yeah yeah man um so we see the foot traffic just it trickles to a stop and we're just like all right like they they told us about this like so it's not a matter of if but when um so not a you know more than a few minutes goes by and um we just see like two guys pop around a corner both rpgs ready to go first one just rockets it right coming like right at post five and hack uh hacksaw's like spears grandpa out of the post and they come crashing into the sandbag wall next to me and like i like duck for cover because you know hack hack it said uh rpg so i'm like oh shit so i duck and you hear the one go off and it hit low so it hit just below the post and then like three or four more launched right after it and then as soon as those all were off like all this machine gun fire started like and a 360 around us mm -hmm. like i mean they were trying to take out post five so take out the mark 19 and then just light everything up right um you know i <laughs> popped back up in the into the porthole and it was just it, it is almost like overwhelming because you you don't like you just you're like all right you can't really differentiate who's closest you know like all right, eliminate the closest target, like in training. But you're like, I don't, you don't know. Like yeah. there's, there's just buildings, so there's bushes, there's there's so much going on, and just uh, you know that was really like the first time I was shot at, uh -huh. and I, it's just rounds like everywhere, like the air just came alive. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. So and that was, I mean that that was an eye opener for mm -hmm. sure um as to what we were dealing with like you know you, we heard all the stories and saw the powerpoints and all that shit but when we saw like how many fighters attacked us at just one location and then also at the government center just half mile down the road mm -hmm. I, you know at least a hundred if not a couple hundred fighters like just that's crazy just all at us. once like and you got all around yeah and you guys were just a single platoon or jesus so at the government center the government center they have uh all the bravo company so oh. blackfoot blackfoot was over there so they had a entire company i don't know if the entire company stayed there if they had kind of like a platoon that would mm -hmm. do like convoys and, and all that which i'm pretty sure they did because they had to escort the the governor right. of al anbar to uh to and from his home and and all that so mm -hmm. um but yeah just seeing the the scale of that firefight and uh 
Yeah. I mean, after after that, dude, like that third day, like that that rocked me. And um, yeah. And we were there at Horea for like. I want to say five or six more days and uh and that's a part of that deployment where uh i i don't remember shit right from those five days like i remember like glimpses like i remember like one time like my eyes are barely even open and it's like you know bright daylight and i just woken up and i, I got up to the roof and they're just like hey dude it's already over bro and i'm just like i slept through it and they're just like yeah we we're trying to wake you up that's crazy like damn dude like yeah you yeah, get that good. used to it that fast just how but sleeping through a firefight that's crazy yeah, I'd, I'd fall asleep and get called up to the roof and mm-hmm. eventually i just moved up to the second floor because i was just like it was just closer might as well as try to be just a little bit closer yeah and, yeah um so yeah, it, it was non-stop yeah how many how many people were in your platoon that you guys were all uh, rotating in and out of security? Um, so each squad had about nine to eleven guys, I think. Like mm. we we didn't we didn't have a full squad or full platoon at all. Jesus, uh, I think we barely. Yeah. I think we had maybe thirty two, thirty three guys total in our entire platoon. Jesus Christ, facing With, up like a couple hundred people at a time. That's insane. Um, but we just, we had, we had better guns. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the Mark 19, Dude, yeah. the Mark 19, I mean, that, that ended the RPG problem pretty quick. Oh yeah. And, um, and you know, you get in, in between each post. So there's uh the suicide post is down on, on ground level. So post one's down ground level that has, a you have a 50 cal, so somebody's going to be on the 50, and then you have uh, another Marine on that post at, who is a saw gunner. So you always put a saw gunner on that post. So you have the saw and the 50 down there, and then up top you have the five other posts, and in between each post is like three to four portals to shoot out of. And, you know, we would we would fill up the entire roof with just every portal filled. Um, there, were, there were like uh, elevated position to like stand up to like shoot smalls and AT4s off of. Mm-hmm. Um, that first day they they called in tanks, but as soon as the tanks rolled in, like cockroaches, dude, just just scattered. Just huh. They're gone. They were gone. Um, but yeah, we we get to see tanks later, light some stuff up, and that that was cool. Um, but yeah, dude, like hurry up. Every time we we'd go there, it was just something, something Damn. crazy. That's I, you know that's that's pretty much the entire, I, you know you you read it in the book like mm-hmm. up until uh like OP North, it was just like like this shit isn't gonna end. Like, right. You know we we had no idea what was in store for us at it, the end of it. Um. So uh, so yeah um. Hurea, so from there we went to Hawk. Uh then Utley happened and that that was nuts. Um so then we built another outpost called OP Utley and that was uh it was meant to take the heat off of OP Hawk and it <laughs> that did the trick. Like mm-hmm. damn. That's crazy. Yeah, so um 
and it was just a it was a slow grind it was like you know the battle of fallujah you know they they pushed the city i know uh i think and i think in marja they got to do a pretty fallujah-esque style push mm-hmm. of it um but the battle of ramadi was just this slow battle of attrition i mean just you know every operation we gain a little bit of a smaller foothold in the suit so we went to uh well alpha company did 17th street security station so that trapezoid mm-hmm. so 17th street was like at the um kind of the like on the western side of the trapezoid about halfway up okay um so we like they established that and i you know we that like i was mentioning before like we we sat at op hawk and just we watched a gunfight for like three days just non-stop non-stop jeez orders coming in um and just craziness uh um to get some more a uh, little bit more context on uh because you mentioned starting to move into the souk because i know you you wrote in the book uh talking about the souk and what it meant and how uh just the strategic uh importance of it and also just um i can't backtracking a little bit but uh what what i was another question i had was just why was ramadi such a hot spot for uh al-qaeda at the time okay um good good question so um, the second battle of Fallujah. So the first battle, uh, obviously, um, Fallujah was named uh, Musab al-Zarqawi, the, the ringleader of al-Qaeda in Iraq. He had named Fallujah to be like the capital of the, the new Islamic State, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, they knew they'd be coming back because obviously they they just declared this the the capital of their new islamic state and they're going to come in at some point to remove it as such um and obviously we did uh the i mean damn dude battle of luja is fucking intense um mm-hmm. i'm reading another book on it right now actually crazy one? um what's it called let me pull it up here um i'm reading Where's my Kindle app? Uh, Fallujah Memoirs. Yeah, Fallujah Memoirs. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, let me know how that is, dude. Yeah, um, it's it's pretty interesting. It's uh from uh, a stupid thing. Um, it's by Alexander uh, Saxby. He was in one eight at the time. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Um. So, so, uh, so basically after the, the second battle of Fallujah, um, they, they learned a lot, you know, the, the survivors that is, um, mm. and all the survivors made their way to Ramadi because Ramadi by that time, I mean, back in 2004, Ramadi really took a turn for the war worse in April, 2004, I think, um, excuse me, uh, two, four was there. And I think they lost like 12 Marines in a week or oh, something Jesus. like that. Um, yeah, dude, like just Ramadi, just 
erupted in yeah. insurgency and and ever since like 2004 it was never really talked about because um you know fallujah overshadowed it right i think it was always kind of like a plan b like if fallujah falls like we know it's gonna fall eventually. Uh-huh. so so i think they just created like this pipeline so whatever survived out of fallujah they would just eventually just move it to ramadi and, gotcha you know, okay and i you know i'm not like just an amateur historian here like um <laughs> uh just <laughs> uh but i'm pretty sure like that's that's how it like you know like if if i were musab al zarqawi bastard um that's how i would have planned it like right. you got to have a backup plan. yeah like, a if, especially plan, if you yeah. know like they they attacked once and pulled back they're probably going to come again and you know they were ready for them and then like okay like this is america against al-qaeda and iraq like kicked the shit out of them so they just moved everything and went to ramadi which was by that time you know the end of 2005 and uh what unit was there it's it's escaping me but again, i think you I, said like, it was three eight or three five one of them it's i think it's um, in a book somewhere yeah yeah so i don't know i don't know if that was three eight or the or if it was because i think one seven or two seven mm-hmm. had been there yeah um, it, it was one unit yeah yeah, so it was like two four one seven three eight, and then um one six. I think I don't know. I don't. But within those two thousand four to two thousand six, from up until that time that we got there, like, whew, that, yeah, just crazy. Yeah, and you know, historians say it started the Battle of Ramadi was from like early two thousand six to November um two thousand six. I you know things had been going on mm-hmm. for a lot longer right. than that. Um, but you know, that that's their job. I don't know how they measured that metric and decide right. the range of dates, but whatever. Um, so, uh, shoot, where are we? Um, we, you were talking about the, uh, my next question was going to be about the souk and why it was, uh, sure. this, the, yeah, the strategic, yeah. uh, significance of it. Right. Okay. Um, so, the souk was an area of the city where um, AQI could operate freely in. Like, we mm-hmm. couldn't, they could move and do whatever they wanted, plant all the IEDs they wanted, and they they did. Um, they held parades down there showing, like, their control of the area. Uh, just a big middle finger to us, and, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, uh, so being in in that central part of the city um, that's the marketplace so Mm -hmm. the marketplace has to somehow survive and and get back to feeding whatever you know whoever is left in the city Um, right uh, at least that would be my assumption I don't know um, but you know, Ramadi wasn't going to change unless if we like established a foothold in in this area. So, um, you know, that's that's what we started doing with 17th Street Security Station. Um, from there, that's when 
building 10 and OP Katana and all that went down. And that's, you know, that's a big part of the book. And, um, just one of the turning kind of a turning point in the deployment, even though we didn't know it at the time, but Mm -hmm. that was a big deal. Like establishing that part in the soup, um, that really put them on their heels. Right. Um, And from there we put in, what was it called? Oh, uh, OP Firecracker. So that was another small outpost and part of the trapezoid. So there was 17th Street, Firecracker, um, OP Firecracker right there, and then building or OP Katana over here. Oh, okay. Then we had two more smaller outposts. That's those, uh, <laughs> that's when Goose ate shit in the shit water. Right, yeah, I remember you were talking about how that entire area was like flooded because of uh, tanks and other heavy vehicles basically yep. blowing all the underwater or underground yeah, pipes and stuff. Dude, and then just hearing, was... yeah. yeah, or even like the the you guys not have you guys not having uh, gates or anything, You're using vehicles to uh, basically use makeshift gates. Yep, yep. Used uh, an old armored armored personnel carrier as a gate um, <laughs> rail. Uh, so you go through, I mean, just, I mean, just full out combat. Um, yeah. you know, at night firefights during the day, we'd have, we had quite a few at night. Um, those were, those were pretty cool. Honestly, like all the tracers going all over, like, it was just like, what? Yeah. Yeah. I remember you, uh, you mentioned it was like star Wars looking. Yeah. Yeah. Gray nuts. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This looks just like star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Insane. And and just all the, the little moments in between, like even during some of these firefights where where shit's, uh, just absolutely insane where where, like funny moments would happen. And you were talking about those in the book. It, It was, crazy for me to uh read about some of that stuff I, it was making me laugh because i was like in the middle of all this chaos there's humor and yep. yeah crazy oh, to hear about i mean some of the funniest stuff happened in like the worst situations it was just yeah. like what the... <laughs> yeah it's like it's like what is this is this real like yeah. this is real life yeah. like this is crazy yeah and, man, um, for real what um, where was your guys's heads at at the time because i imagine this was was this the first probably two or three months of the deployment when you guys started getting into the the souk um yeah so we had been uh we've been dipping our toes in and um every now and then and just every time we'd go in it was like we either get contact um i mean that where where we got ambushed up to the north when i was about to go into the back of that vehicle um mm-hmm. Like that, that was just on like the northern fringe of the souk. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, it, it was anywhere we went. It didn't really matter. Um, but, you know, our, our AO was that central part of Ramadi. I mean, it was mm-hmm. that. Um, so, anywhere we went, it was, we'd get contact. Um, Except that night, you know, we were, that's when we'd be able to move around. We were, we'd go up and just do hard knocks. I mean, everything was like, it was either kicking in the door or taking a, you know, the, the breach arounds and the shotgun and just busting through the padlocks and uh, kicking it in. Um, you know, we, we'd find 
we find caches and houses like uh um hackett's team found a cradle with a sleeping baby in it and when they pick up the baby and lift up the mattress there's like a box of grenades underneath laying under serious? it and it's That's just insane. oh yeah dude and uh same building like the guy tried to escape through this little hole in the back just like out dug out and then covered by like a whatever and yeah push out of the way and he's like his his feet are almost out when like i think it was it was uh call him by his rapper name in the book sheist and uh mm-hmm. i think he grabbed his his boot or his, his sandal or whatever it was fucking yanked his ass back in. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. You know, oh my squeaker. God. yeah dude like it, you know just shit like that that was you know night in night out um detaining guys uh you know i, I had the story of um it was like the hvt number two and iraq's brother that we rolled up yeah, one night i and remember that part he got he got a little frisky and um you know it was it was like one of those opportunities where it was just like we we had already gone through so much shit you know we yeah. lost a few guys and you know lost you know double triple that to, to other injuries and mm-hmm. um you know it was just like dude like yeah, it's just like all right bitch yeah <laughs> yeah it was yeah you know just you know like you, you hear all those guys like bro just see red man like <laughs> but it was a, it was one of those situations where like it it was just a reaction like i didn't right. even think about any like he like i saw his head coming back and i just like moved out of the way and brought my hand up caught it and just brought it right up against the wall and um, yeah like, dude, I, you know, I've never been on the other side of it type of thing. So, mm-hmm. like, who knows how I'd act, but, um, damn, like, oh, dude, Iraq was fucking wild, bro. Yeah, no, it <laughs> sounds like it. <laughs> Reading this book's insane. I, and even, like, seeing some of the, uh, I think you said you guys couldn't use mortars or anything yourselves, even though you were getting mortared. Or even, like, I don't think I ever read about, uh, you guys using artillery or airstrikes? Uh, I don't know if um, that's like that was cut off for you guys or. So the whole uh, the whole point of like the seize, um, seize, clear, hold mm-hmm. operation, which is the the tactic that we were using, unbeknownst to us at the time. You know, I, I read about it years later, and I was like, oh. All right, that actually makes sense. Like that would have been nice to know at the time, but mm-hmm. anyway, I, I digress. Um, <laughs> so because of that, they're like, we're not going to do another push of music because we're we're all bitching about that. Like, we, why can't we push this bitch? Like, let's just push it. Like, be done with it. Let's just push yeah. it. Get it over with. And they're just like, no, we want to save the infrastructure of the city. It was like, what infrastructure? Like the right. roads are caved in. Like the building across the street from OP Herrera, mm-hmm. um, the women's college, it, its entire roof was like cracked in half and like caved in on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, buildings missing chunks, like OP Herrera has a JDM through it. Uh, the whole area around the government center would eventually get like leveled, like mm-hmm. 500 yards out. Like, it, or that's that's an exaggeration like a hundred yards out or something okay. like that. Um, just, just read it. Like, I mean, just leveling buildings, the right. area around OP Utley leveled. Like, mm. 
palm groves blown up just um and you know whatever like we we had our orders like as as you know we're gonna follow them regardless of um if it's a push or if it's the seas too hold so because of that we were really limited and restricted like we had we had a fact with us um a pilot uh and he was awesome like he was one of the laid back chill dudes like just just rad as hell and he's like i'm here for one reason every time you guys get in the pig i'm calling for fire and it's just like sweet like awesome like you talk to him and you learn a lot about that calling in nine lines and call for fire and all that stuff um so we had him there and we never got an airstrike at op herrera mm. not once um op Utley, we got the call one in at uh we got the call in tanks on multiple occasions and then the only artillery that they allowed us was a uh, oddly enough a gimler round which i believe was shot out of uh camp fallujah mm. 30 miles away and it's uh guided yeah like a jeep okay yeah, i think i do remember reading about this part yeah. yeah it was like a satellite guided like the round picks gets picked up by a satellite and then it guides right to like right through the window that accurate yep yep so we got to see a couple of those um i mean dude so one of the buildings next to op katana i don't know i don't even know if i covered this in the book dude there's so much in the book that like there's so much that going through the book, I I actually had to like take out because it was just like it was almost too much. Really? Like, I don't know if it could yeah, be too I, much. <laughs> dude, dude, I could I could have gone on for at least another like three chapters just on combat. Uh-huh. And I was just like like all, all the combat chapters, I mean I, I'm sure you noticed they're much longer than all of the other like right, chapters yeah, about yeah. have the stroke and, and after the aftermath and all uh-huh. that. Um yeah, dude, like there there's so much. And and one of them was uh when the building across from my post at OP Katana post three was called Building Fifty Five and it was a suspected um SVBIED factory. Right. And yeah, it, I remember and, that part. You know, it had like garages on the side of it and it was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, that's that's that, plausible. Yeah, that would look yeah. Yeah. So one day, um, I think we were at OP 76. Yeah, we're at OP 76 and the the building just like blows up, Mm -hmm. just blows up. Um, And we're just like, like somebody just got a Darwin Award. (laughs) (laughs) Someone Uh, (laughs) someone plugged in the wrong wire. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So um, they called a, a, a Gimler round in on it and uh i think it was it was my buddy from washington who went to one six he was at op 63 and he filmed it from there mm-hmm. and you can see the artillery round hit and then i mean just his body fly out of it and it was just Damn. like what like and dude that place i mean it's shit like that and you and you don't question 
like how bad I describe it smelling in that place. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a, there was a point in the deployment where, I mean, our snipers were, we had to shoot dogs because they, mm-hmm. they aren't like, <clears throat> they aren't lassie back in the States. They're yeah. Not like yeah. My I read buddy that Crimson. Um, these are rabid pack animals that run rampant through the city and they devour anything and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, they, they would come up and, you know, they'd give away our location and stuff. So, uh, you know, snipers just started taking them out and, um, yeah, dude, it was just like, that's how bad that city was. It was like scavenger animals just running around because yeah. that that's their way of survival. But you, you know, you just, there's uh there's shit that's like unrecoverable and like that i mean i don't know if you've ever had like these smells in your life where you just get like a a whiff of something Mm -hmm. and it just brings you like right back to somewhere oh yeah Um, i know what you're talking about yeah yeah like going to like going to a porter shitter at a a country music festival right yeah like or just like a smell that reminds you of your childhood something like that yeah yeah i've had that before yeah and um and every you know every time you get a, a good whiff of like sewage or some kind of just unnatural stink it's just like every time it's like god damn it it smells like the body oh really um, jesus yeah um and that i mean that smell was like <laughs> i know i describe it like a thousand times throughout the book but yeah. I, I, I made a point to do that because i'm just like it just you never got used to it Oh no, I, I believe it. Yeah. You um you, you wake you wake up, it smells like shit. You go outside, it just smells like stronger shit. And I just never never get used to it. Um I don't know, that's probably why like so many guys just smoke so many cigarettes because right. that actually like takes that smell away. Yeah, I remember you mentioning smell. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, dude, like Ramadi was crazy. Um, you know, like uh in the book, um, spoiler alert, uh just like I'm still here today, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Ramadi is, is alive and well and thriving now. Well, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, unconfirmed reports of alive and thriving. Um mm-hmm. but I, I, this dude, he uh you know, he, he says he's he lives in Ramadi and I you know I have nothing to say against it or, or describe oh, it. Oh, one of your one of the people in your platoon? No, um uh just some random dude on the internet. Uh so oh, like, okay. you know, just some guy on the internet. He said he's from Ramadi and I was just like, dude, like what does it look like now? And he sent me a bunch of pictures and you know, I can't recognize any of the buildings or anything, right. but from what he showed me it was like looks like what I'd expect a normal Really, Arabic city to be um, in Iraq. So yeah, it it blew me away. That Um, uh, I actually wanted to mention. uh, I want to bring this up because I remember in one part of the book you were talking about how there was a leaked uh Pentagon report that came out saying that basically the whole situation was completely like tactically hopeless in uh, a lot of like the higher echelons' opinions. Yep. Yeah. So that was um either the month before we left or it was like it was sometime in august 
September. Dude, it might even it might have even been like in those that first month or so when we were there. But it was mm-hmm. like sometime middle to early fall um, of two thousand six when this the these uh, reports from the Pentagon were were leaked or I don't know. At the time, the 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 war in Iraq. I mean, it wasn't going good. Uh, mm-hmm. losses were heavy. Um, every day we were losing somebody and, um, they always said the Al Anbar province, but it was pretty much coming from Ramadi. Mm. Um, and, and then that, that paper comes out and it was just like, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't think, uh, any of us, I mean, I think we took it seriously, but Dude, you know what it's like to be in the grunts, and especially like me, being 39 years old now, and having been, jeez, uh, I think I was 22 when I was going through Ramadi. I just turned 22, and just knowing the way I was back then, I'm pretty sure we were just like, yeah, we're probably gonna get our shit pushed in, but uh. Sure as hell, you know we're gonna give them hell type of thing. Right. Um, just, just that kind of that that marine bravado, just kind of right. like, like whatever, like screw that shit. Like I don't, I don't, I don't give a damn what the Pentagon says. Like we're gonna, we're gonna go in there and we're gonna, mm-hmm. we're gonna kick ass and, um, and and after you know that that first, up until when uh. Utley hit that IED. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all feeling pretty, pretty damn awesome about the way the deployment was going by that point. I mean, we were tired and we were run ragged, but uh, we were we were kicking ass and taking names, and we hadn't taken any casualties. And then Utley happened, and then and then everything was turned on its head. And right. then after that, it just it didn't stop like we kept losing guys and then we had our first kias and and then um then macon in november and uh, and then it just didn't stop uh, i think our last one was uh in february and um even then it was like you know guys would still get shot and we'd still hit ieds um the iraqi police chief colonel adnan was uh killed by a uh svbid uh and it was like a chlorine bomb too so like it was like this mass casualty situation with a bunch of bunch of civilians from that um you know so just crazy shit kept kept happening until really the iraqi police really moved in and those dudes you know it was their neighborhoods that they would police so they'd go in and they knew exactly where everything was yeah. They knew who was who. They knew where to go. If they were stupid enough to still be there sleeping when they came in through the door, that was, you know, it was good night forever. After that, um, yeah, I'm at. Were were they taking prisoners at all, or were they just going in and just fucking putting an end to it? Dude, when we were at OP North, every time we were on a graveyard shift, I mean, we'd watch them come up, and right. I mean, we'd even get calls from OP Katana sometimes. Uh, just being like, hey, just be advised. You know, some 
IPs coming up, friendly forces. Like, all right, cool, Roger that. Uh, and we'd see them, and we never saw any any detainees go back. We just hear gunshots. Mm. Then we'd see them walk back a little bit later, cross the street, go somewhere else. And you know, if it was like you hear more, you hear more gunshots. You'd call it in, and all right, keep keep eyes on, type mm. of deal. And it's just. Uh, and we'd run into the same thing in Afghanistan where in Marja. Uh, so I was in Garmzer. Oh, okay. Um, All right. So in 2008, we went to, went to Garmzer mm-hmm. and then, um, uh, 2010, six went back to Marja and then that right. was their, their Marja pump. Yeah. Um, so you learn pretty quickly that, uh, Iraqi police, Iraqi army, ANA. They really don't give a shit about the Geneva Convention. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, like many things about the global war on terror, it struck me odd at how everything was handled. We're, we're propping up a, a, a culture that, um, you know, is known for and, and you know, the abuse of women, the abuse of children, um, you know, the human trafficking, drug smuggling, um, and then just we're we're supporting that. We're, you know, in a way, um, sky turning a blind kind of, eye to it. Oh, both both eyes blind to it mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, just completely look the other way to all of that. I mean, the IPs going out at night and doing their thing, you know, we were like, shit, like, yeah, we would love to go and do that, but like, there's no way in hell we could, you know, right. um, Who knows what their situations were, but it was, there was no uh, exchange of gunfire type of thing. Mm. There's always a couple, couple shots and that's it. And who started the whole, who started that tactic? Because I know that was that was because uh, interviewing Marja vets, they've talked to me about how everything was insanely kinetic until the I think the Green Berets, at least in Marja, they started paying out like locals, almost like the same thing, like with policemen. They just go around, they'd fucking kill these guys, and then everything just stopped. Yeah, yeah, dude. Um, and that's that's exactly how it was in Ramadi. Um. After like shortly after OP North was built, um, you know, it was pretty, it was kind of hairy for a couple of days when that was being built. And then after that for a while, but that's when, I mean, every IPs just Iraqi police just came out of the woodwork. Like they came from everywhere. Like their graduating class must have been like 2000 or something because they were nonstop F 150s, you know, Toyota Hiluxes just rolling around with with machine guns mounted they'd come back with these pickups i mean just full with ied making materials that's um, weapons all that shit and yeah then we'd see them roll out at night they do their thing and it was i mean it wasn't like like that overnight that it was, it was just like oh wow okay everything's different but there was a definite like massive drawdown and and fire right. um or the EOD techs, you know, they'd go out every night. They'd just be 
clearing streets, finding IEDs. And then, you know, eventually they'd find fewer, find fewer, and then they'd start clearing other areas and, you know, just, um, so eventually then the, you know, people, news, news travels, uh, Ramadi's changed. Um, and then we saw the, the revival and it was, you know, we, we all expected something crazy to happen. It just, mm. it never did. And, then our relief showed up and I was already well on my way to, uh, you know, being groomed as a, for being a squad leader for the next deployment, which was supposed to be a float. Uh, so yeah, we get back and, um, do our workup, you know, expect to go on this float, Norway, Spain, maybe some place in Africa, like, Right. To go and really see the world. Yeah. And then, uh, then we get told we're just we're flying straight to Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, that's insane. So, yeah. Uh, um. So yeah, dude. Uh, would you mind if you took a little? Yeah, break? man. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Let's take. Uh, let's take a little bathroom. Here. And I gotta get a gotta refresh my drink. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. We're, All right, cool. we're good. Um. So, kind of what I wanted to ask you because we kind of. We kind of skimmed over the revival part a little bit. Uh, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit more because that I know we, we were talking about how everything was kind of drawing down and things were kind of you guys were getting ready to rotate out. And uh, yeah. I know you guys were all super on edge with because uh, at that point it's like, all right, we're almost out of here. Nobody else yeah. wants to get hurt or killed. Um, and just uh, then seeing like waking up one morning and seeing that because I remember reading that part and I thought that was pretty insane compared to how you guys started out that deployment yeah yeah dude yeah um so uh are we good are we recording? yeah yeah we're good we're good yeah okay all right um so it's uh man probably towards the end of april i remember it because uh my birthday was april 23rd and i just turned 23 and uh, there was a, like the only thunderstorm that was there rolled in like a night, like the night or the night of my birthday. And I just remember that. And then, um, it was a few days after that, that, uh, we're on night post again. It was me and cock on post and him and I are, uh, just kind of like, with both of us on post, it was kind of like, uh, if one of us got tired, it was just kind of like, you know, I got you, dude. Like, I'll kick you if someone comes around type of thing. And um, so I, uh, I remember just looking out and just watching. And then, then I think I'm like, holy shit. Like, as the sun starts to come up and looking through my NVGs, I'm like, whoa. Like, there's a, I start to see, like, heads show up. And all these, um, and then you start to see like the bodies and the outlines, and then they just stop at like this one point because they're like just like a standoff area. And um, and as this is going on, it's like getting lighter and lighter. And by the time um, like our LT and uh, Grandpa gets up there, and they're all looking at it, and it's like you don't need your NVGs anymore. Like you can see that it's just this crowd of people just. Um, just stopped like right before this bridge that goes over. Um, I think it's, I think it was Med Road that was right there that ran in front of us. And 
this bridge that goes over over and then the people are standing there and we're just like obviously this isn't um you know aqy 2.0 coming through through the door so lt spins up the, the qrf squad and they go out with the interpreter and i think at that time we had some iraqi police living with us and they went out with them and um you know they do their thing they talk and then as soon as they're done talking they walk back and it's just non-stop people um for the next next two to three days i mean it was just uh, you know obviously you can't keep track of like they tried mm-hmm. to like you know hey keep a tally of how many men and women you see yeah, it's just it's like, like no, there's no yeah yeah just there's, there's no yeah yeah you know, so we, we tried or whatever but um there's really no way there's so many people going coming in and then eventually it, the traffic starts going both ways and ips are are out sitting in front of op north and we're just kind of sitting back like this is insane um yeah people people coming out through the streets so like the week the weeks leading up to that uh, some of the the civilians who were still there, they actually started bringing out like wheelbarrows and shovels. And, you know, at, in the beginning of the deployment, that was a, a license to kill, basically. Right. If you saw that. Um, so now we saw it and we we're shooting pen flares and just uh-huh. like, we were, you know, like, obviously we're, we're like, like you said, we're very much on edge still. Um, not, not sure what to expect. So the weeks leading up to like this mass group of people, like all these people started coming forward. And we're like, no, we want to start cleaning up our streets and yeah. and repairing the damage. And it was just like, oh, yeah. So weeks leading up to that, it was starting to get a little cleaned up. Um, and then just this huge flood of people just completely swarmed in. And then from there, it was like, oh, you know, <laughs> It was really cool to see. I mean, obviously going from what we saw at the beginning to the end. And and there really is no no but, but it, I just, it goes back to that surreal thing. Um, mm-hmm. It was just going from what we went through from September through, I mean, March. It was unprecedented in my book. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and had most of the civilians left the city, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. then, so is yeah. that kind of them showing back up? It's kind of like, holy shit, we did it. Like, right. Yeah, yeah man. That's um, insane. Yeah. Especially I, after the. Yeah, especially after those uh, Pentagon reports coming out too. That's like, yeah, this is hopeless. Like, uh, yeah, to yeah. go from that to um, seeing all these people come back, and then, you know, I I don't think I mentioned this in the book either, but one of my high school buddies, his younger brother, mm. was in the unit that relieved us, mm. and you know, I had, you know, we were Facebook friends and whatnot, and you know, he was tracking along and. I probably made a post about being in Ramadi or something. And he reached out to me and he was like, Hey dude, my brother's there right now. And, and I was just like, get out of here. Like, 
you know, what's he saying? Like, what's it like over there now? And he's like, um, he said it's really peaceful. Like, they just ran a 5K down um, racetrack or something. I'm like, dude, that's crazy. I remember. Racetrack? Yeah, I remember you talking about that road, how uh, deadly it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. Um, yeah. So just, I was like, just absolutely blown away. I'm yeah. Not, um that is wild yeah yeah so um so yeah man uh yeah that's kind of like the revival in a nutshell i guess that's Um, crazy yeah and just seeing it come back to life i mean you know after that it was just people going back and forth just you know non-stop i think there was some curfew in place so at some point you know, the city did go quiet, but mm. I mean, you know, at that point it was, it was alive, you know, like yeah. before, you know, ran, like we'd randomly hear like a generator or something running right. like off in the distance, but now it was like, it had that vibration, whole, that hum, yeah. just the, didn't yeah. you guys play soccer with some kids at one point too? You yeah. Said? Yeah. So uh, we were at um, a school and it was one of the, like one of our few daytime patrols and we went out and did like this little uh, humanitarian type thing and went to uh, the school and just for like a couple of minutes, like these, these kids came out and we were just out in the courtyard and a kid brought out a soccer ball and um, just kicked it around for like a couple minutes with them. And, um, you know, just being able to see like some smiles on their faces, the teachers, um, man, it was uh just a crazy experience too and i think uh i kind of did a little mention of like there there was like a huge firefight at some point at that at that spot with one of the units before us um and just seeing that and like kids in a classroom i was like dude this is again um just something that you never, you don't think you'd ever experience. Right. I mean, just seeing something like a school shot up and having gone through the months that we just did. And, and then there's this, like, like a couple classrooms of kids with like the surviving furniture that wasn't busted to shit sitting in there with like kids and like this chalkboard. And, um, yeah, it was, it was something else. Yeah. It was something else. Yeah. Um, that really is insane. Um, yeah, dude. yeah, I can't even imagine. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, this is going backwards a little bit, but the, the night of new year's Eve, uh, I thought that was really, that I thought that was a really cool part of the book. Cause I, I never thought that the, anybody, but I'll let, I'll let you tell that story. But, um, yeah, I just, I thought that was a cool part. I wanted to ask you about it. All right. Right on. So new year's Eve, that's going back to, uh, the, building op katana days and that was like a week straight or maybe just shy of a week of just night in night out um we'd go we'd drive out to op katana we'd get dropped off all night we would be slinging sandbags just fortifying the outposts um carrying gun mounts up to the um posts that were made out of connect boxes like stacked up on each other um so it again that was kind of like the first week at 
uh, Opie Herrera after those first few days, it was just a blur of just and just glimpses remain from it. But uh, that that last night, or was one of the last nights. I don't know if it was the last sandbagging night, but we're on our way back to Hurricane Point, and I'm just just smoked, like just tired. Um, just have my head against the the wall of the seven ton, riding down the street, just bouncing all over. Had a chew in my mouth, so I'm just like spitting on the ground, just tired. And then just hear, just feel somebody just tapping me, and and it's Gary. And I'm like, and that's when I notice like there's shit popping off around me, and that's the all the white star clusters, green star clusters, like all the like all the different colors, stuff. yeah, all oh, the yeah, different all colors, the yeah. Um, uh. They're all going off, and and I'm just like. You know, I look up and I kind of peek over the, the edge and I can see like, you know, the flare is going off and then I see the chain link fence, the hurricane point. And I'm just like, dude, like what the hell is going on? And he just hands me a shot of Jim Beam, like a traveler's shot. Yeah. And I'm just like, no way. And I didn't put it in the book. And I'm like, dude, how'd you get this? And he's like, oh, I think it was his dad sent it over and he knew oh, how yeah. to like hide it, hide <laughs> it, get it through like or whatever. So that's bad. Uh, yeah, so he hands me that, and he's just like, "Happy New Year's, dude!" And I was just like, "Dude, that's crazy. Like, that is crazy." So, is, was it like a fuck ton of just white star, or I mean, I guess just clo- uh, the fucking flares? Yeah, like I'm like we were probably shooting off some aluminum mortars. Um, uh, really, but, but just all the all the white star, green star, red star clusters, yeah. and all that shit. Because I know yeah. you said you get, it was like the whole city just lit up with that. Oh, just um, just like Hurricane Point and Camp oh, just, oh, and Blue okay. Diamond. Yeah, just yeah, uh, just the fobs kind of doing that. That's sick. Yeah, dude, it was it was yeah. still cool. <laughs> that's that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, so I uh, okay, so I guess back to where we were now. But um, so you went to Afghanistan and then coming back from that. Uh, do you want to talk about Afghanistan or do you want to kind of stick more to what the book uh entailed? Um, Let's. Well, I don't. I, you know, I don't know how long you want to go, but uh, um, yeah, I got time. Well, I don't. Okay. I don't know what um, you. Uh... Well, let's let's hit on Afghanistan real quick. Um, it was uh, 2008. We go over like end of March, beginning of April, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Spend uh, spend a couple days, two or three days in Manus. Uh, mm-hmm. Air Force Base in Kyrgyzstan, which was super cool. Um, being able to see the Hindu Kush and, and all oh, that—that that was that's sick. That was yeah. And then um, just seeing like, um, just like they look like uh, um, Chinese people, but they speak Russian or like mm-hmm. like a, a mean like gruff Russian. And it was gotcha. just like, Whoa, like yeah. So just hearing that kind of like that difference of like, um, you know, it, it's this sounds bad, but like you expect like an Asian person to speak Asian. Yeah. Sometime, and then to hear them yeah. speak Russian, it was like, Oh wow. Like this is a completely different part of the world. Right. Um, yeah. So it was really cool to be able to experience that and see like, uh, you know, our limited exposure to that mm-hmm. culture that was there. Um, so really cool stuff. And then we flew down to uh, Kandahar and we stayed at Kandahar for two to three weeks. I don't think they knew what to do with us. And we had those MTV vests, or no? They had like wool lining on the shoulders. 
Like, uh-huh. if I were, were to be issued that, I, I thought we were going to like some place that would be cold. So I figured we're going to oh, go okay. to the mountains somewhere. Um, obviously, we like most Marines in Afghanistan went down to Helmand Province mm. with, along, you know, with the Brits and all that. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, you know, three, three weeks in, we, uh, we finally, you know, start to spin up for uh, a place called Garmzer down in Helmand Province. So our company was a truck company. So we had to drive trucks from Kandahar uh, to Bashton. Um, so one group of guys from our company did that. And then another group, which I was a part of, we flew on uh, CH-46s to Camp Bashton. And then from Camp Bashton, we met up with all the, the trucks, got more trucks, loaded up onto the trucks, and then spent three days driving to uh, Camp or Fort Dwyer, Camp, mm-hmm. Camp Dwyer, whichever, uh, Dwyer. And then we stayed there for a day or two. And then we finally went down into, uh, it was an area of Helmand Province where there's basically a line drawn in the sand from east to west. So on the north side, the, the Brits controlled it. And then on the south side, it was basically just Taliban land. Mm-hmm. Um, they did whatever they wanted there. They agreed not to cross the north. The Brits and NATO and ISAF, they agreed not to cross south. So uh, there was basically a truth, even though there are still engagements going back and forth but um anyways so we go in there and uh we we cross that line we break the truce um and we uh i mean just you almost feel bad if it wasn't the taliban like that's how like just Mm -hmm. one-sided it was um oh really I mean, so being part of the Mew, we got all of our Mew assets with right. us. So, um, you know, we had uh, light armored reconnaissance. We had a recon platoon. We had our own artillery, um, attack choppers, and then fixed wing. I think uh, I'm going to probably get it wrong, but I think it was a Harrier group that was oh, with okay. us. Um, so, I mean, just um, we had shit on call all the time Mm -hmm. so as soon as we called for fire it was like there's no wait time like we didn't have to wait for anything it was like it was there um so that i mean that was really awesome to see and be able to you know be a squad leader and and you know call for fire and and do all that along with everything on the ground and during with those operations um it was it was crazy uh um so the the first two days was like one giant firefight like from right away in the morning through the night and then it picked up for a little bit in the morning before like the taliban had fled and they evacuated this this objective this uh, madrasa which is a school um and and i think madrasa means school in pashtun so so after that um alpha and bravo company they were helo company so they uh flew in and inserted uh I think south and east to us and they were they pushed their own objectives i mean they got 
and it just as intense fighting as we did. Like it was, it was unbelievable to. Uh, I mean, I think, I think our only casualties. I can't speak for the rest of the battalion, but for our company, I think our only casualties were heat casualties. Mm, um, okay. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think anyone even caught a you know a ricochet or got grazed or anything. Really? Um, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to double check on that because um, I'm the Afghanistan is uh, going to be my second book. Um, so definitely let me know. I'll read it. Right <laughs> All right, man, for sure. Dude. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, what was your guys' yeah, like objective for Garza? Because I'm not too familiar of what happened there or what that was all about mm -hmm. so we were supposed to go and disrupt the the drug trade oh, okay the Taliban was involved in without impacting the drug trade <laughs> the Taliban <laughs> okay yes so we get those orders and you would say all right cool so we see a field of opium we should light it on fire right no no do not do that that is the farmer's livelihood. If we take that from them, then the farmers have nothing and they'll turn on us. Right. All right. So what do you want us to do then? If you find a building full of hash, burn it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> like, so they want it, they want it to get to production and processing, but, uh, they don't actually want to stop it at its root source so and, gotcha yeah. so yeah yeah would it take away because you know if you grow opium it's like 10 times the return than that oh yeah like wheat or, or corn or some other um egg agricultural crop uh so yeah just you know clear as mud type of shit mm -hmm. um so we, we go through and um so those the first one to two days we're uh, engaged um, the Taliban flee uh, they you know intercept the traffic and um, there's a great book called war comes to Garmser I talk I love this book this author Carter Malkasian he's a like a historian through Oxford University and he does this great job just chronicling the war uh, the war in Garmser, the battle of Garmser. And, um, and he, he goes over in the book, the, the traffic that they intercept and they literally let a convoy out of Pakistan to like get all the, the commanders and the uh, higher level leaders out of Garmser and back to Pakistan. Um, so it was, I mean, a huge success, huge success. Huh. And we continued to push further South push further south and then eventually we get to this place called juggering fort which is uh, a taliban stronghold um and uh the british actually did an operation down there and um it, it went it went south really bad um like i think one like one of their it was the royal marines and one of them got left behind when they oh, pulled geez. out so they had to I mean, they, they mounted back up and dude, I think like four Royal Marine commandos were like riding on like the, the Oh, wheels. I've heard of this story. Yeah, yeah. They rode on like the side of the attack helicopter. Yeah. I've yeah. heard of this story. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's they insane. rode in and went back and, 
and I think you know I think they got him out without any further incident. But, That's uh, crazy. Yeah, so that this is that same place, um, and we roll through there, and um, I mean, first and second or first and third platoons, uh, they were the the main assault force for that. And, I mean, they just again, I think the the worst casualty <laughs> is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> of course, someone like a marine would say something like that. Uh, uh, but this dude, he throws a, a grenade with the thumb clip still on, pulls the pen, throws it with the thumb clip still on, gets it thrown back. Oh, Jesus. Explodes. And he took like a little cut in the cheek. Uh-huh. I think that was like, that was like our, one of the few actual combat related injuries. But dude, we had, um, we had to call out several medevacs cause we ran out of water mm. and, um, just had just heat casualties, casualties. Yeah. Casualty. and then and then um some of them had drank some of the well water that, oh. that was there yeah dude um yeah that's... they were they were medevac the morning after oh, this assault yeah dude so we they rolled through jug room and i mean this place is like shot to hell like so if we <laughs> so going into this assault if they took any contact whatsoever they were going to call in um it was like codenamed Celtics. So Celtics okay. was seven minutes of artillery fire, seven minutes of 120 millimeter mortar fire, and then seven minutes of attack choppers coming in and just so just overwhelming firepower. Yes, and then okay. first and third platoons went in. So by the time we get there. I mean, the, the smoke has barely even settled. Like, we're in, we're divvying up, like, where we're going to, like, put each platoon and start setting up, like, security. Yeah. And a giant perimeter around this entire compound. Okay. And, dude, like, those those attack choppers, I mean, there's just doors splattered across walls. There's just holes punched through buildings. And then at night, because it got dark pretty quick, um, uh, by the time we got in there and like the walls like you could see where like the rounds like just erupted yeah and it was like like parts of them were like glowing green uh-huh depleted uranium it was oh, like geez. what the is this shit yeah, like it was not good to be around it was crazy so <laughs> just yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah man that's crazy so that was uh that was juggling fort and then after that it was kind of like the same situation um, during those first couple days. Uh, didn't see the Taliban again. Um, unfortunately, a state team, a sniper team, came into contact. They were ambushed, and um, we lost Corporal Cooper. Mm. Uh, I think a week or two after after all that. Um, and uh, but after that, it got it was quiet again. The Taliban. Uh, you know, we, we, you kind of, you have that sixth sense of like being watched, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how it felt like every, every patrol, every time we went out, um, we were never messed with. Um, but we knew they were out there. We knew we were being watched, especially when, um, so there's this, we had a vehicle checkpoint, so we'd get some merchants coming through. And, right. And, you know, they would, uh, 
they would know enough English to be like Pepsi, Pepsi, Coke, oh, Coke. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, dude, like, hell yeah, we want some soda. And then he'd be like, ice. I'm like, get out of here. Yes, we want some ice. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we haven't had anything cold in forever. Like, the, yeah. the best you could do was, you know, hang a sock put the cans in and then what the stock oh okay the window was cooling down enough to be where it's like not you know it doesn't taste like you're drinking piss um so he hooked us up with some some uh ice some soda and then uh we didn't hear from him for like about a week and then um uh one of my buddies uh another squad leader in our platoon his squad was on post and they got a burlap sack with the dude's head in it Oh, what the and fuck? It was just like, you know, that, that message is pretty clear. Yeah, um, that's you know, the, the Taliban's watching, um, and they uh, they killed him for it. So that's insane. Yeah, dude, it's that shit's fucked up. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, that that was just again. That too. We, I mean, we made we made a deal with them to uh, pull out, uh, quote unquote. Um, right and just you know back then i I remember talking to my mom on the phone and i was just like you know it's 2008 from what i saw in kandahar and um just the way this war is going like i don't see how we're ever gonna leave like we we take two steps forward um well it's not even really we take one step forward and then we take two steps back like when we left we um we had an entire company of, of Marines who, you know, all the combat experience that we do, we have from, uh, you know, the 2004 pump to Afghanistan, from Fallujah to Ramadi to now through, uh, through Garmster, all this combat experience, all these, uh, Marines are going to be replaced by, you know, a 30 to 40 man, British army platoon, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred plus Marines. Um, it just didn't, it didn't make any sense. Like, uh, the, and you go to read about the war in Afghanistan with Russia and you read about how Helmand province was never held completely because they didn't have the numbers to hold it because they'd, they'd move in, they'd cut through it like a knife, a hot knife through butter. And then they just didn't have the manpower to hold it. Mm. Um, so it was like we were doing the same exact thing uh, in Afghanistan. And after, you know, you, you gain ground, you can't hold it. And then, like, the fallback from that and the fallout from that is even worse than if you would have just ground down and found those extra men to hold the ground. But who knows, dude? Like, I, you know, that's not my above right. my pay grade type of deal. Yeah. Um, but, uh, just to read that from like the 1980s, like going into Afghanistan, and it's like, did they just completely ignore the whole fact that Russia was there for 10 years? Yeah, almost like repeating history. Yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, instead of the CIA and Stinger missiles, it was Iran and IEDs and um, allegedly, right? Right. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's insane. But yeah, dude, Afghanistan was, I mean, just completely different. You know, it made, it made Ramadi look like New York city in comparison. Um, it was just stepping back in time. 
really? like 500 years. Yeah, which is every building is made out of mud. Um, you know, there's roofs or thatch, uh, thatch roofs with like logs intersecting beams. Um, just a completely different place. The vehicles, like the jingle trucks, like mm-hmm. <laughs> looked like something out of like a psychedelic Disney movie or something. Really? Um, just yeah, just a completely different part of the world. Um, but yeah, it was always it was always weird being in Kandahar. It was like a lot of the people there weren't really kind of there for the war it was just kind of there to be there to um like like a lot of the countries there it was like yeah we have a presence here we're at kandahar and it was just like mm-hmm. this just looks like um uh, like the boardwalk at cap was so out of place in my mind um i mean not all let alone the boardwalk, there were like several uh, rows of buildings where there were like storefronts. Like they had an mm-hmm. embroidery shop, they had a massage parlor, um, all sorts of stuff. You know, years later, I, I read, um, you know, some of the books that, that have come out and you find out like the CIA had like a, like a mini resort there, like with a, a pool and a bar and like a hotel or something. And it's just like, man, like this is, it was, you just get the sense that, uh, like why, why would you build up an entire city just to leave it? And that's why, like, I kind of felt like we're never leaving this, but like, look at right. this. Yeah, like, like they have, um, I forget it was, it was some country guy came and put on a huge show right before we left for for Garmzer and I didn't I didn't go I wasn't in the country at that time. Um, as you can, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I used to be a big old big old metalhead. Uh, yeah, I'm same here. I love it's funny now. I love country. It's yeah, I'm old. I've heard it so many oh. times I can tolerate it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all anybody um, would play. <laughs> um, but dude, like there were, like you could be on a volleyball league. There was like a soccer league that you really? could, like there were fields, fields inside of the boardwalk. Whole bunch of shops, uh, Pizza Hut, Tim Hortons, the the Canadian Starbucks, uh, Burger King. Um, yeah, dude, it was just, uh, just felt out of place is the best I can yeah. describe it. It was like, why would they, like, why would they, why would they do all this? Mm-hmm. Like, this is, um, it's kind of like when I was uh, a federal security guard, I, I'd get to know a lot of the people there and I'd be, be talking to them and, um, one of the guys was like a, a facilities manager dude and he came up to me and he was just like, Hey man, like, do you want a new, uh, do you want a new desk chair for sitting out here and in, in my security booth? And, and I was just like, I'm like, yeah, like, what do you got? And he's like, we're, we're about to throw all these away. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll take a look. So I go out and uh, out in the loading dock where the, the dumpsters are and they're like all brand new chairs. 
brand new. Like some of them are still in the boxes. And I'm just like, you're going to throw these out? He's just like, yeah, we got to get rid of it so we can get our budget for next year squared away. I'm like, I'm like what? <laughs> and like, like they literally throw stuff away so they can justify the need to get new chairs for the next fiscal year's budget. And that's kind of what I looked at like Afghanistan was like there was all these things being built and, and put up because they had to spend all this money to justify getting more money for the next year's budget. Huh? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does make sense. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's in a fucked up way. Yeah. It makes yeah. sense, but it's, it's, um, and that's, I mean, that's what I saw. I put that together, you know, after the fact, cause I was doing federal security after I got back from Afghanistan, but, um, I was just like, like, Oh, so that's probably what was going on kind of back, uh -huh. back there. Cause you know, they put up all this, all this new stuff. And when we got to, when we got to Dwyer, it was just, uh, the, the typical like square of Hesco barriers, just this Hesco barrier is a post here, a post there, like on all four corners, uh, main gate. Uh, when we got there, we just parked the entire convoy outside of the out the outpost and um, just set up camp. We watched airdrops come in. Uh, very very Spartan, like hmm. not a lot to it at all. The next time we went out to to Dwyer, there were. I mean, it had blown up. There was a runway going in there. Um, the it like probably quadrupled in size. They had like an oh, entire geez. like shower tent. They had a a chow hall, um, all sorts of shit. Yeah, uh, yeah dude. Like just yeah. Uh, just to have like that experience of. Um, you know, first going through Ahmadi and seeing like the turnaround there, and then going to Afghanistan and just—I mean, you know—the the Taliban was like, they, you know, they put up a fight, but it wasn't—they didn't have a chance. Yeah. Um, we we just overwhelmed them, you know, straight up, and. It's just one of those things like, uh, I mean, you, re you read about it in the Korean War where, uh, God, who was it? He, he was going to go into China and he was told to stand down and, and, you know, like you're not doing that like type of thing. Um, I don't know. It just makes you wonder if like, every every marine's like what dream is just like just no leash just go yeah and then yeah. don't stop until you hit the indian ocean type of right thing. yeah um but uh you know that obviously it was as far south as we were going to go was juggling um and at that point it was like why why are we stopping like let's keep going like yeah i thought that was the whole point of marines is like marines push through all this stuff you know, scorched, scorched earth, you know, the army comes in behind or, you know, that's when the British were supposed to come in. Cause that was the whole story the entire time. Like, all right, we're going to go in, we're going to take over this stuff. Then the Brits are going to come in, they're going to take over and we're going to go to the next one. 
Huh. And then we're going to go to the next. And that, and that never happened until the very end. Um, so it was, it was just odd. Uh, and yeah. yeah, I, um, I mean, there's somebody who probably will articulate it a lot more, but I mean, I still have to write my story on it, but, uh, there's just something that was very off about the whole yeah. Iraq war or yeah. Afghanistan war. Iraq too, but um, yeah. Afghanistan, especially because of, uh, just the way it ended. I mean, Iraq wasn't a beauty when it ended, you know, we had ISIS, but that really wasn't, uh, I mean, there just wasn't that debacle. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, uh, the way know, like, today is. Yeah, today's the, yeah. the two-year anniversary. Yeah. The, the bombing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's crazy. And, uh, just how it all yeah, ended. Man. It's like watching. Uh, it, it, it almost was like, uh, okay, this is probably how the Vietnam vets felt, like going mm-hmm. back in time, seeing how everything ended with the fall of Saigon, and then, just like reading it in books is like one thing, but then just watching it all go down and then just mm-hmm. like just yeah, having talked to like vets like yourself and just hearing all these stories and my my buddy in 1-8 he was out there um you know experiencing all this shit firsthand and it's like it, like growing up like all i did was watch the news like all i ever wanted to be was a marine so i was always just watching the news i was watching videos of all this stuff like i idolized anybody that was in the uniform and it is just seeing how it all ended is it's just gut-wrenching and where's the accountability and that gets into a whole rabbit hole of its own but it's, right, right. it's insane yeah it's definitely crazy yeah. but um Mm-hmm. So, how long were you guys there in Afghanistan before you came back? So we were there for eight months. Um, we were extended again over there, Turned just not you. as long. Uh, yeah, in Ramadi, we got extended for three months. Um, so, but I, you know, I heard like a lot of units got extended in country. So I don't, I don't think it was anything out of the norm right. uh, at all during that time. Um, but yeah, so we got back in uh shoot october 2008 october november 2008 Mm -hmm. and and the funniest thing about coming home that time it was uh i mean it's it was more of a culture shock coming back home from iraq than it was going to iraq um just being back in a place that i mean at some point like you know you think about throughout history like at, at some point there was probably a battle fought on every piece of earth mm-hmm. <laughs> that there is but um but just this you know go from that combat zone to back to america is just um just as overwhelming as as it was going to ramadi right. and it was kind of the same thing coming home from afghanistan um my family came out from wisconsin in october you know it, it's pretty getting pretty cold in wisconsin and all that and mm-hmm. um and they're you know we're all like let's go to the beach let's go to the beach i'm like all right cool yeah like you know 80 degree day north carolina like yeah. let's do it and i'm like freezing cold oh jeez <laughs> <while> they're all in <laughs> they're like, always sweating and, and stuff and yeah. i'm like i'm in shorts and i have a hoodie on and i'm just like Gah. yeah i've heard so of that cold. a lot whenever yeah. uh 
Uh, yeah, I remember hearing like stories from like Iraq vets too. Like when they came back, it'd be like yeah, 80s, 70s, something like that. They'd be wearing like winter coats in their houses and shit. Yeah, yeah just readjusting yeah, I mean, to the the normal temperatures yeah. here. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, that was that was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, yeah, like I came home from from all that. Uh, let's see. And I had been dealing with like I didn't know it. Like I didn't know it until like really until 2014 when I had my stroke. I really didn't know that I had lupus. Um, oh really? It started in Iraq as like this face rash, and like there'd just be times like you know I I just gotten ten hours of sleep. I wasn't drinking the night before. Um, mm-hmm. You know, no no crazy workout. I didn't go run a marathon or anything crazy, and I would just wake up and I would just be exhausted. Um, yeah. You know, nothing that you know a young twenty you know mid twenty year old couldn't push through with with some caffeine and all that, but um eventually it was just uh it would just hit me and it and it happened after i like i i remember i took this i got a pneumonia vaccine and uh like a couple weeks after that my hands just like started swelling up like that's crazy knuckles i had like knuckles in between my knuckles like that's how much they swell up like and i have like like regularly like my veins are just bulging out of my hands but right. like all my like... veins would like disappear like it, it looked like i don't know it looked like some kind of troll out of the lord of the rings um, yeah that's not good yeah and, uh you know that started happening and you know something was extremely off like, oh, I, yeah. you know i i didn't know what it was but i thought it was arthritis so i start going into the va and they don't know they start running blood tests and and all this back in 2012 um they don't know anything they can't tell me they uh they can't start treating me until they diagnose me with something and they never diagnose me so like a year passes i'm still going and seeing them and they're like you know how's the arthritis i'm like it's still there like it comes and goes but when right. it when it's there it's really bad and uh yeah i can't even like you know i was still doing federal security i'm like it's so bad like i can't even pull my gun out of its holster if oh, i wanted because i just yeah. drop it like i couldn't i couldn't hold it yeah um so eventually i uh just randomly out of the blue i got like these horrid blood clots um, oh jeez like my leg my leg swelled up to the you couldn't tell like it just looked like my thigh went straight down like oh, I had no ankle no knee it was just like straight down um so put on blood thinners uh during like uh six months of blood thinners i was put on for that like in the middle of that i had like this crazy panic attack i thought i was oh, having damn. a heart attack i thought yeah. i was dying um yep. and that i mean this is really like it this was just viral um so then I go from, from all that, I go to, uh, I get taken off of blood thinners and then I go on this elk hunt and then I get back from the elk hunt and, um, that, that next morning we got, after we got back, I woke up and I was having the stroke. Um, and that was when 
obviously i mean everything was changing for me again oh, you know yeah. this is like um i know i didn't really talk much on it with uh mccon and um him passing but you know i was you read in the book i was right next to him mm-hmm. i was yeah. uh, briefly knocked out um you know this was just as uh i mean it was a life-changing moment again uh, yeah and after going through so much already to have this happen i mean it was just it was really hard to to swallow oh, yeah. i mean obviously going through it and then the recovery being told i might not be able to walk again um and and through like that whole time you know we're my wife and i were at a point where you know we were ready to start having kids and yeah. and then i'm faced you know i'm laying in a hospital bed and they're just like you might not be able to walk again and i'm just like i won't be able to like pass a soccer ball to my son or my daughter mm-hmm. i won't be able to play catch i won't be able to pick them up you know like i don't know if my left arm is going to come back either type right of yeah and so like kind of not really backtrack but at this at this point like you'd mm-hmm. gotten out and how had been getting out and i know you got the job as a federal security officer and just uh some of the other because i you mentioned this all in the book but um yeah i just wanted to touch on that a little bit just kind of get a little more context to where we're at yeah yeah um so i got out and um and I, i'm i'm very fortunate very blessed to have uh, a great family mm-hmm. um yeah despite my i you know i, I don't want to make it sound like i'm griping about uh having a sheltered midwest upbringing but i mean it was uh it was great. I love where I'm from. I love my family. Um, and they, you know, they came, they came through huge for me, but back then, obviously I, I have the gift of hindsight with this, but back then, um, I was mostly focused on making up for lost time. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to party. I, I wanted to hang out, party, do all the things that, um, I had missed out on the last five years. Um, with the family, with friends, um, you know, chasing girls, drinking, all that stuff, like mm-hmm. all the college stuff. Um, so it was, it was fun, but you know, at some point I, you know, you do realize like, even though I was around like my buddy from boot camp who got me kicked out of Washington, like mm-hmm. we were roommates again in college for a little bit. Um, he was the best man at my wedding, uh, eventually. But there were still times where you would you would be in a you know you feel alone in a crowded room type of thing mm-hmm. and, uh, and and you know that is even with with your tribe and and with all your friends and your family and your support system that's all it's all great and it does help and it it's probably it probably prevented me from um experiencing those depths that i did experience during my stroke recovery because i was going through some some shit before that you know and, mm-hmm. and eventually it definitely was like a build-up effect because i i had mentioned it in the book there were like some incidents where i had a little too much to drink and like iraq was coming out and um unprocessed emotions un unprocessed memories um just I hadn't put in any of the work to like to grieve our losses to 
to kind of process what we've gone through. Um, instead, it just came out in uncontrolled rage at, mm. a, at a light pole. Right. You know, like. Yeah, I've never read that part um, of the book. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, there's another time and, you know, this is. I don't want to say too much about my Afghanistan book because it's still very early on. But, um, you know, the first book is called It'll Buff Out. And it's mm. all about how you got to put in the work to, like, make, right. make changes. Yeah, in your life. absolutely. Um, you know, like like going to school, going to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to you got to do the work to get the degree. You got to do the work to get the 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 easing of your anxiety and your depression. And it, it can all be done through through buffing it out um obviously i like to use things in like a humorous context so it'll buff out you know has different morbid connotations if, if you want to apply it like <laughs> i always make i like i love the example um uh like this dude in third platoon the dm in third platoon i mean he made a he made a running like a dude was running across the street uh aqi fighter and he, he tagged the running headshot from op utley mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I always like to joke, like you hear that story and it's just like, yeah, that'll buff out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember that part. Yeah. I do remember reading um, that part. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so there's that part of it too. So, but you know, in Afghanistan, this kind of ties in with my grandpa interviewing him back in sixth grade and just seeing how, how much all that shit impacted him, uh, you know, whatever it is, 40, 50 years, 60 years later. And, uh, you know, it's like shit. Still, all, it's all fucked up. Still, like you go, um, you go through one thing. You think you have things all figured out, and then you go through another experience, and you're just like, it's all, it's all over again. Just, um, man, oh, dude, I put it. Uh, it's like we're all walking through the same fires. It's just different shit that that's burning. Right. Um, and it's just this continual process of you have to keep keep buffing stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some things, you know, there's like I don't think uh, trauma ever truly like leaves you. I think it's just the way and you uh, deal with it and mm-hmm. handle it that is yeah. really the difference. And and that is, I mean, that's a continual process. That's not a you know you go you go and do you put in your time for so long and then you achieve this status it's like a, a continual process to maintain right and, and you know I, there's there's like different levels like i mean there's people who have gone through much worse than than than, than we have or than i have and um you know go on to live very long and successful and great lives mm-hmm. and it's entirely possible it's just it doesn't it doesn't happen by itself right yeah 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 no i definitely agree yeah. it's uh definitely it takes yeah. work um it's uh it's not easy to uh do it but it, with things like therapy it's definitely it's at, at times it's needed yeah but, yeah yeah but then um so this is kind of leading up to the stroke um and then so Cause I know you, you talked about waking up and you just felt really fucking off. Your words started getting slurred. The left side of your body was just gone. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. you're looking up at your, I think it was your step or not your, your father-in-law. 
that uh and you're like trying to tell him you're having a stroke and then he finally realizes it and you're eventually in the back of an ambulance and just yeah. kind of in and out till yeah. uh until mm-hmm. you're uh I, th- I think you said your wife showed up and the last thing you remember yeah. saying was my angel and yeah 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 it's um I remember pretty much everything up until I got that shot of the head and uh it was it was like lights out after that um mm. yeah I couldn't have any any painkillers because they didn't know if I needed a clot buster or not but uh whoever the doctor wizard was mm-hmm. um, he knew for whatever reason that if I was given a clot buster, I uh, wouldn't do anything because my my stroke actually wasn't caused by a clot, which, uh, again, doesn't make much sense because I had blood clots. Like Right. Um, but it was uh, the lining of my artery, my left PICA, PICA artery, uh, the lining separated from the, the artery and created like a shutoff valve. So... Oh, here's like geez. the lining of the artery. So yeah. the, the, it closed off and, um, Oh Jesus. Yeah. So uh, eventually they, they take, I, I mean, I would do, I've gone, I've gotten so many MRIs. God. Um, but eventually it showed that it was healing and apparently, I don't know. It's hopefully it's good now. Knock on wood. Um, yeah. Pretty but, good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, dude, like the stroke is totally, God, having a stroke at 30, I mean, probably the best shape in my life too, um, mm-hmm. was, was doing, uh, just re- had run a tough mutter before, uh, not too long before that, uh, even with the, the blood thinners and all that, you know, um, yeah, it was, uh, just completely out of the blue. Um, totally unexpected. Um, and then uh, the the migraines. You know, I was I was really really blessed. I got you know full uh, um, mobility back. My speech came back fairly quickly. But the migraines. Um, I mean, those are what. That's what stuck with me, and those were that, that breaking those was the toughest battle of my life. Because mm-hmm. um, I didn't know what the hell to do. Uh, you know, Ramadi, Afghanistan, I had some kind of control over what I could do about the problem, but this I had no answer for because it wasn't right. a it wasn't a matter of um, how many op- opioids I could take. I could take all I wanted. Right. And, and then, you know, there's mega problems with that. Yeah. How many medications were you on again? I remember it was like probably like 10 or something, or maybe more. Um, so at one point I had gone through around 19 different medications, but at one point I was Jeez. taking around 10 at a time that's a lot yeah and um i mean it was all like they were antipsychotics it was my blood thinners it was sleeping pills um hydroxychloroquine for lupus uh gabapentin um 
you know, all the the regular shit yeah. that they try to, um, and yeah, I mean, that was that was when, um, you know, things started to get real dark because yeah. I was taking all these medications, nothing was working. I was still taking all these opioids. I um, had started using cannabis because uh, you know it was illegal yeah. in Colorado and all, all right. that. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't drinking. I was eating like the best diet that I could, and uh, and still nothing was working. Nothing was relieving the migraines. They kept coming back. Um, I, I was trying to like maintain like going back to work, like mm-hmm. trying to like get back to work. Um, because I mean, yeah, I know you mentioned for yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know you mentioned for a long time yeah. too. You were just kind of stuck being. Uh, just recovering on the couch you couldn't you couldn't do anything and how that was taking a toll on you because your wife was doing doing a lot and uh it sounds like she's an incredible woman um oh, she's and, amazing yeah and yeah. it's just uh I, I think you mentioned at this point she'd gotten pregnant too with you guys' first kid yeah yeah so my my son miracle we had gotten pregnant and um and you know that was like that was you know that one of the crazier parts of the book and i mean it's, it's oh yeah I, yeah i remember uh yeah, yeah i remember yeah, talking about the found out, yeah just before i found out it was uh you know it, you know it was one of those things where it was like <clears throat> it was a huge cry for help yeah i mean basically what it was it, it was just a huge cry for help um I had the means, I had the ability, I had it, you know, it gone up to my head and, um, and just for whatever reason, uh, an image popped into my head, whether I manifested it or not, I don't, whatever, it's not important to me. It, it happened, but just this picture of me knowing it was me walking hand in hand with, with a kid um, into a sunset or a sunrise or something. And that just, you know, it was enough for me to, to break out of that moment and just to be like, hold the fucking phone, bro. There, there's more yet to come. Like, this isn't it. Like, this is not it. Um, and then to come back home the next day after dragging my bass back into work, and going all through it over again to come home and just be told like, Hey, we're finally pregnant. Like, Holy shit. Yeah. Um, and that's when I was like, I'm done with the drugs. I'm going to go like, I have to take blood thinners. I have to do something about my lupus. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to stick with the blood thinners, hydroxychloroquine, everything else. I'm done. It, you know, I was in therapy, but it was like, okay, like, maybe I'm not taking it seriously enough. Maybe I need to do more, Mm. you know, more meditation, more journaling, more talking about all this stuff. Because like, during this time, like, too, I I was starting to work on uh, writing this book again. And, you know, that was just adding to the problem, though. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't helping, like, it, it would just bring up the, all the emotions and all the and that buildup that probably led to me having the stroke and mm-hmm. and all these problems like right 
you know, I got to take responsibility for my part in it too. It wasn't just all the trauma and all the shit and all the exposures that I went through. It was, it was how I dealt with it at the time. And that was, I, I didn't manage it the right way. I thought it was, I was doing the right things, but was I really putting in the work? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, obviously something I did was, wasn't on, on track. Right. Um, 30 year old just don't have jokes. Um, you know, we can, we can try to blame it on the burn pit and an anthrax vaccine, but at the end of the day, um, what's that doing? What's that doing for me? Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's helping or if it's just like a dragon that I'm chasing. Yeah. Um, so at, at some point I just had to be like, you know, it is what it is. Um, I can only deal with what I can right now. And um, because of, of going through a hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatment um, that broke the, the cycle of the migraines, they didn't completely go away, but right. I, wanted, I was able to... Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. What led up to you getting into, because uh, I, I knew you talked about it in the book, but uh, I wanted to ask you about what, how, the, how you ended up getting into that and then just the effects that it had on you and how much it helped. Yeah, dude. So, um, so I had heard about it through my therapist who, um, there's a dude that at the VA I went to in, um, Golden, Colorado, and he was, a he was a veteran and he had gone through this hyperbaric oxygen chamber and had told my therapist about it. And towards the end of one of our sessions, she was just like, Hey, I have some really great news to tell you. And she's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be telling you because it's not like, you know, mainstream medical accepted, accepted or whatever. But mm -hmm. she's like, have you ever heard of HBOT? And I'm like, uh, no. And she's like, she starts to explain it. And, you know, it's like, oh, you mean that thing about you know, like with the people coming up too fast from a dive, they get the yeah, bends or whatever. Right. Um, so that's how it came about. This this treatment was for the bends. And then they started to apply it to other to other things. And found that it actually had a, a great effect with um, a pretty like a significant percentage of people. Um, <clears throat> so she's like, you know, you should give it a shot. So I called them up and I'm just talking to them and, you know, they, they talk me into coming in to visit. I'm like, all right, like, let me come check this place out. So I go in and the guy I talked to on the phone, um, Eddie, I, uh, I walk in and I'm like, hey, you know, how's it going? And just from the way he moved, I could tell like one part of his body was his, his limb. So I go in and um, I think how it happened was uh, he's talking to me and I'm just like, he's like, so you've had a stroke? And I'm like, yeah, I did. And he's like, yeah, me too. And, you know, I could tell, like, part of his body is limp. And I, you know, I'm just like, well, wow, man, it's, it's nice to meet you. Mm -hmm. And I think I, like, started to reach out with, like, my left hand. Because I, I think it was his, his right arm that was limp. So I reached out with my left hand to be, like, shake his hand with right. his left hand. Yeah. And he reaches out with his right hand. And I'm just like, whoa. Like, I was not expecting that. And, and um, you know, we, we get to talking and... um. And he's just like, yeah, I couldn't move the right side of my body at all until I went through HBOT. And now really? he's like regained function of his, the right yeah, side of his body. That's he, can, he can walk. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like right there, I'm like, all right, I'm sold. 
like I yeah. have, like I have to give this a shot. It's um I went through this their program called Healing Our Heroes. It's for anyone who has um, service connected PTSD or TBI. It, the the entire treatment is paid for. If you're out of state, they have a a house that they rent through the program that you can stay at. Um, just a just a really cool program, like very supportive. And uh, so yeah, I did 40 days of it. And at the beginning, I took this cognitive test and. I mean, it was all like low mids to like red, like averages. Just, I mean, I couldn't, I mean, I could barely function. Like it was just like, I could hold a conversation, but at the end of it, I would just be like, I have to go lay down mm. type of thing. Okay. Um, just everything exhausted me. The test, I was just like, at some point, like I, you know, I just stopped caring and it was just like, yep a b mm. three like so they test you at the beginning in the middle and then at the end and by the end i mean it was like all in the green mm. um all in the green uh the migraines went from like you know they would last for days um, sometimes even weeks at a time. Oh, geez. Um, back when it was really bad, I mean, there were months where I don't remember a day without a migraine. Um, but the chamber, it it got me to a point where I could go and I would go and do the chamber. I would feel great after doing the chamber. I would um, start going to the gym. Um, I'm like, a, I don't know. I, I I've got a personal trainer certification. I always love working out. I just, mm -hmm. I think it's great. I, I credit it with really saving my life from the stroke. Um, and so I started going back to the gym little by little and just baby steps from there. Um, mm. Finished the treatment, continued going to the gym. Um, I started the, I started the ketogenic diet back before it was like, like mainstream and everybody was like, Oh, keto this, keto that. Um, and that, that actually really helped me as well. Um, just kind of resetting my gut because I had gut issues too. I think I, I covered in the book too, where I thought I was mm. having another heart attack and I was just constipated really bad. Oh yeah. I do remember <laughs> that part. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, um, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's crazy. And, um, so yeah, so baby steps from there, um, still going to therapy, just doing all that, all that all that work, putting in the work, buffing it out. And uh, eventually got to a point where, you know, I could go do a full hour workout. Um, and then our, our son came along and it was just like, all right, huge life change number 3,000. Three yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, uh, that's amazing though. Yeah. 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 And, uh, so yeah, I went back to school to get um, my master's in writing while uh, I helped raise our son in that first year. Um, so I was like stay at home, Mr. Mom type deal. Um, mm. and, but yeah, dude, uh, the recovery was, it was a long process, but, um, and that's why I say like nothing is hopeless. Uh, the, the best thing you can do in any situation is endure it. Yeah. Cause, uh, 
you know, it's cliche, but this too shall pass. Um, yeah. It, 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 it rings true. Um, it just sucks while it's happening. Yeah. It's like going, it's going through the, the week of endless sandbags all over again. Mm. But, uh, um, but that, you know, just going through all of that and, um, and just having learned so much about myself, about the way of the world through uh, my time in the Marines. Um, it's a harsh reality out there. And, you know, being that sheltered Midwest kid was a pretty rude awakening to it all. Yeah. Um, and then coming back to a place that provides, I mean, just millions of of kids and people just like you and me out there in this country um i i wish people could have this appreciation that that i have that i know um many many like me have like like you have um for this country for our way of life for our, our values and our our morals and what and what we want america to stand for regardless of of what's out there right um yeah um just we got to keep that shit alive yeah um, absolutely you know uh lots of people really like the rag on america and and for all of our sins and yeah we have them but at the same time if it wasn't for america there wouldn't be the world trade that we have there wouldn't be any um, developing nations like there are. Uh, there wouldn't be any developed nations like there are today. And, you know, all of that was possible because of what happened during World War II, the aftermath. Um, I'm getting off on a tangent here. And I apologize. <laughs> but, That's uh, all good. But, uh, yeah, we have our we have our faults. But mm. without, without this country in the last hundred years um i mean who knows what, what it would be like yeah you know, there's no oh, for sure you can theorize and what if all day on that but at the end of the day i i you know this country has done some pretty great things and to just see it all being kind of just so just kind of just carelessly yeah thrown to the side Kind yeah, of. I feel like um, and another thing too. Even when I went to Japan, um, or even like uh, seeing the the little bit of uh, the Philippines that I did, because I was kind of stuck with the ship for that. But uh, just being in Japan, seeing uh, anywhere outside the city, it looked like a third world country. And even being in the Philippines, yeah. like actual third world country, even the small parts of it that I did see. It's just kind of, and just seeing the way that uh, some of the people live every day and just kind of, uh, you, you just kind of have a, a little more appreciation for what, what we have here because I, I think a lot of people do take it for granted. And mm -hmm. I, feel that, I feel like that's why it's a really good thing for people to go and travel and see the world because it, yes. it makes you uh, kind of realize that, and especially seeing the way that some countries are and... Um, you know their their own set of values and morals and what's okay and versus what would be the polar opposite of here and just 
yeah, it just kind of leaves you with a little more appreciation for, for what we have here, even though, yeah, it's, we aren't perfect, but if you go anywhere else, it's not going to be perfect either. So, yeah. 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 But, but yeah, so, yeah. <clears throat> man, um, yeah, we've been, we've been talking for almost three hours, man. And so, yeah, dude, I was about to say, I'm yeah. like, you're, you're, you're probably feeling it more than I am two hours. No, ahead. not really. So, I, I really, it's been, uh, yeah. it's, it's been, I don't know, reading your book for real. I, I was hooked on it very, very quickly. Yeah, it, it really is an amazing, amazing book. Um, and yeah, I want to thank you for letting me be able to read it and, uh, just, just for being, for being on this, doing this podcast with me and just getting very, very personal with me and just honestly a complete stranger to you, but you're just, uh, so willing to open up completely to me and just, uh, e even with writing your book, just, uh, just how real you got with it. And, um, yeah, no, I just, I'm grateful to, uh, be able to get to know you a little bit and, um, yeah, just, um, just hearing your story, man. Cause it's, uh, it's pretty wild. I'm glad it, it ended, uh, well, not really ended, but, uh, it, it's gotten to a point where, you know, you have your son and, you know, you've, you've recovered, uh, to the extent you have, and you're able to, to live a, a good, better life now than where you were in the past. Mm -hmm. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty inspiring, uh, the things you've, uh, lived through and overcome. And, um, yeah, man, I just wanted to, uh, thank you for, for all that, for letting, letting me get to hear all that and be able to help you out with this too. Uh, I, I really hope mm -hmm. everybody that listens to this gets your book. Um, it's really, really, uh, it's a really good read. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, man, uh, uh, Thank you. Uh, just thank you for taking the time to read it. I, you know, I, I say this a lot and I'll keep saying it, but time is such a precious commodity. So if you're listening to this, thank you for listening. If you get the book, thank you. Thank you for reading it. Um, it means the world to me. I, uh, I just hope it helps people like it's, it's helped me. I know it's, um, Help some other people who have, have been able to read it. Um, it's kind of funny because I try, like, uh, I'm so, like, just, I just want to put it out there. Like, I, I just want it to help people. And if yeah. you, like, if you can't, if you can't buy it, like, <clears throat> message me somehow, like, I'll get you a copy of it. Like, that's how much I believe in this book. And, um i just wanted to help people i have some some plans in store for uh, a book launch party coming up in october uh to to donate to uh the healing our heroes program to put other veterans through the program that helped me out so much um i just hope that people will use the story to uh get themselves to a point out of the darkness because it's it's a it's hell. I mean, it, it, you're literally trapped in your own hell. And getting out of there, anyone can do it. Everyone yeah. can do it. Um, but it's, it, you got to fight. You got to be a fighter. You got to, you, you, you can survive it. You can endure it. Um, and you'll come out the other side. Yeah, and stronger absolutely uh, you really will you really will but don't expect everything to be just 
rainbows and sunshine right. because it ain't. Yeah, I um, know. There's always there's always work. There's always work. No. Nope. So uh, yeah, I hope nobody's expecting a happy ending. The ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I uh, I'm a like a. I always I grew up on Star Wars. I mentioned Star Wars in the book several times. Yeah. Uh, I'm an Empire Strikes Back guy. Uh-huh. There, ain't, there ain't no happy endings, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Star Wars myself. I think it's uh, funny. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, man. But um, for everybody else, uh, you can read you, after you listen to this podcast. Uh, when when do you plan on releasing the uh, the actual book? So the book is coming out October fifth. Okay. Um, it should be available for pre-order here within the next couple of weeks. Oh, and okay, then, awesome. Um, and then if anybody's around Denver, Colorado, uh, reach out for details on the launch party. That's October 7th. That'll be awesome. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love it if everyone can come. I know it's a big ass, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it out there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure I'm there. sure people will come out. We'll go out of the way, though, if they're close enough. But um, yeah, for, for everybody... Definitely check out his book. The, it gets much, much more into detail than uh, what we talked about on the uh, on the podcast mm-hmm. here, and tells the whole story and just very in depth. Very, it's a very, very inspiring read. Um, and um, yeah, I guess uh, for everybody, we'll uh, we'll catch you guys on the next show. And thank you so much again for uh, giving me your time. Thank you. Yep. See you guys later. <laughs>